Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about Conga, the Nigerian e-commerce company. We'll explore the Conga store across five areas. First, we'll give some context about the Nigerian e-commerce sector. Second, we'll talk about Conga's early history. Third, we'll talk about Conga's product and monetization strategy. Fourth, Conga's sale. And then fifth, we'll end with our views on its overall outlook. This episode was recorded on July 3rd, 2022. We're going to talk about something today. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about Conga. We've been doing an e-commerce slash marketplace trilogy. Uh, we spoke about GG a few weeks ago. We spoke about OLX more recently. And then today we're going to talk about Conga, e-commerce player in Nigeria, aka marketplace player in Nigeria. They're important because they were part of the 2012 to 2015 e-commerce wave of excitement in Nigeria. E-commerce in 2012 to 2015 is like fintech in 2018 to 2022 in Africa tech. Yeah, Conga is an African. It's very similar to Jumia. Same time, same era. They were neck and neck quite a bit. Uh, Standard e-commerce, uh, buy stuff, sell stuff, buy shit, sell shit. I was on their website a few days ago and they're having their 10 year anniversary. So yeah, Conga has been around for 10 years. Also, the story has a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs. So we'll, we'll explore all that good stuff in today's episode. I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. I'm hype. I'm excited. We're going to do it. Okay, so PSAs, public service announcements. Uh, founders, operators, we'd love to hear about you. Please email us, info.afferability.com. You can also email Bankoli directly, Bankoli at, email me directly, Lumide at. Investors, we'd love to link up with you. Email us, info.afferability. Everyone else, go to, actually, <laughs> I sent a mail to our mailing group yesterday, so I'm very mm-hmm. excited about that. So go ahead, join our mailing group. There's a it's a large white button on our website. We're supposed to send emails every two to three weeks, but I don't know. Now it's, let's just say, four to six weeks. You get an email Some eventually are, when I get around to it, when I, when I, when I feel like, like I'm in the mood. Afro, Otherwise, no, just sign up. No, it's affability summer hours. You know how many companies <laughs> do like four-day four work weeks in the summer? We're, we're having summer hours. Definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks to everybody who keeps listening. Yes, thanks. And I feel like we get a lot of great emails. So thank you for those people who send us, uh, like, especially the thoughtful emails to talk about the strategy or the concerns. I think a listener sent us an email once saying, oh, you said this, but did you think about this? Like, oh, very, very smart. So thank you. Um, okay, so biases. Um, do you want to go first? I don't want to bias no, you. No, my, my biases, biases are very, very strong. My bias is extremely strong. So I'd rather, I'd rather wait. Tell me, tell me. About Unless you bias. insist. Tell me. No, I insist. I, now I'm okay. more curious. Now I just don't okay. have any my biases. biases. I mean, I've said it so many times. I'm heavily biased negatively against e-commerce businesses. So I'm going to be overwhelmingly ne- negative. Um, and let me just give some more specifics. Because in case you haven't listened to our OLX episode or our Jumia episode, it's basically there's a lot of operational risk. You buy stuff at a low price. You try to sell it, sell it at a higher price. Unfortunately, because of payment on delivery, sometimes you have logistic difficulties of getting your money on time. Because of transportation and logistics problems in Nigerian developing countries, you have transportation issues, logistics issues, you have like inventory risk issues because of storing work. You just have a lot of problems. And a macro problem is a lot of consumers don't even have money to afford the stuff you want to buy. They also, they're used to going offline. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I don't like the business. Um, oh, however, I won't be as... I'm sorry. I wondered it. I won't. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, my bias is extremely negative. Um, however, on this specific episode, I won't be as negative as, as usual because I think I do have some positive biases. I was doing a lot of uh, research about the founder at Simcha guy, and I, I thought it was, it was interesting to watch a lot of his interviews from 2011, 2012, 2013, and his vision for what he was trying to do. And I have a soft spot for people to come in early and try to make a difference in the market, especially because he had to build a bunch of infrastructure and logistics things that weren't even available. He had to find a way to partner with the post office. So soft spot for Sam, really like the guy. So be slightly positive, but yeah, overall just net negative, but I really like the founder. So not as negative as usual. Interesting. I think my bias is more positive than negative for a couple of reasons. One is like, I'm, I'm a fan of the founder. 
like yes. great repeat founder, made a lot of people a lot yes. of money, multiple successful businesses, probably one of the more prolific, um, less PR um, heavy founders in Africa tech, like same as the guys. Who, who are the PR heavy ones? <laughs> Um, <laughs> let's call them out. As if you, it's as if you are looking for trouble. If you, know, if you know, if you know, email bankrelateafrobeauty.com with a list of PR heavy ones. It's not, it's not email. Um, anybody can email now. Okay. The next, the, my next bias is, is I think this entire Conga story is giving me all kinds of feels because I just have extremely fond memories of that time in Africa Tech. It was a overwhelmingly positive time. Um, yeah. You know, the positivity was much like you had to be there to believe it. Like, you know how old people, at least in the U.S., talk about like Woodstock 99 or Beatles in the 60s or some big concert. It's like, that's what it was like. If you read the news articles from the 2012 to 2015 time in Nigeria, it's like Financial Times had a headline saying, Internet sales flourish in Nigeria. BBC had a headline, Nigeria shoppers warm to online sales. It was mm. an article in Wired UK saying, do you want to become an internet billionaire move to Africa? Like that, oh my goodness that gracious. Was, like everybody was convinced there was an economist headline article. Africa was going to take over the world. And it was just okay. a great time to be here. Like Jumia was hiring, Jumia was paying, Jumia Conga, Conga to a lesser degree, Jumia Monster was paying crazy amounts of money, giving young people mm -hmm. crazy amounts of responsibility. Jumia was in 23 African countries. Like, guys, this is a whole different game. It was super exciting and very positive. So I have very fond memories of the um, optimism that was everywhere. I don't think there was a lot of negativity at all in the ecosystem then. So, yeah, there were a lot of things happening. I remember by coincidence, I had moved back to Nigeria in 2012, July. Um, but I, I hadn't moved back to Nigeria based on like, I'm going to join a tech startup. I'm going to join a tech company. I just moved back because I had an opportunity to work for McKinsey and it was great. So I moved back. But then around the same time, just by coincidence, there was all this hype around yeah. tech startups. People were moving back specifically to join startups. And it was it was interesting to, to see because it, I feel like a lot of that went down later and then got revived again recently. So yeah. up and down and up and down and up and down. But well, yeah. the founders of Jimmy and Conga came back. I know the founders of Jimmy and Conga were actually in retrospect all like hbs graduates yes by, by coincidence by coincidence right so they were all like foreign educated had work experience internationally at different levels and were like it's time to come back so it was a very exciting time to be here right and we also right. have maybe some hindsight bias alum day for your negativities that you already have a perspective of how this played out how some people made or didn't make money at different exactly. levels of exits so yes. maybe that's thank that's you probably driving your bias as well i'm i'm willing to acknowledge it, it, it but in fact, I forgot to say thank you. I think I mentioned it on the OLX episode. Yes, because we already know how the story turns out, my bias is a little bit messed up, my hindsight bias. Um, so maybe take everything I said earlier with a grain of salt. Um, and in general, I guess they're just, there's just something around infrastructure dependence businesses, asset dependent businesses that could be perceived as risk, but also could be per perceived as developing a moat. So we'll talk about that as the story unravels. Okay. I'm going to get us started, unless you had anything else on your biases. I like it. Those, those are my biases. My biases, I'm positive about okay. the founder. I'm positive about the time that Conga and Jumia were very, like it's, I just have very fond memories of being just hyper, it was a can-do attitude in the entire ecosystem. Like everybody became like Mike Arrington of TechCrunch. Remember that? Oh my God. Yeah. It was fun. Interesting. Oh, okay. So let me set the scene. So our story begins around 2011, 2012, right? There are a lot of different things happening around the world. Amazon released their first tablets. Uh, called the Kindle Fire. Interesting. So it was the first actual tablet, not mm -hmm. e-reader, not e-reading device. And it was around $200. It was based on Android. I really, really want to talk about that now, but let's not. 
Uh, Netflix stock price had reduced by 70%. Interesting. Um, and that's after they decided to do the split off of the DVD, DVD business. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds very uh, familiar, <laughs> considering all the stuff that happened to Netflix in 2022. Again, I want to talk about it, but let's stay on topic. So we're not going to go about that. So all that fun stuff was happening around the world. And around the same time, Conga was being founded. And that's some global context. So Bankoli would tell us about the the Nigeria e-commerce context, yeah. and then also tell us about the Conga uh, founding story with Simshaga. Yeah, so I will, I will talk... Um, a bit about what Nigeria was like in 2012-ish. Um, mm-hmm. One of them, they came to Nigeria and jump-started the invention of Conga. No, single-handedly. Single-handedly, single-handedly inspired. So <laughs> Sim in the line at the airport and told him, you have to do this, Sim. And Sim had no choice. We're joking, please. We're absolutely joking. I do not think that happened. Um, but no, I'm going to talk about what Nigeria was like in 2012 when Conga and Jumia were found, founded. And some background on our superhero, um, Sim Shagaya here. So a bit about the country first. So Nigeria at the time, 2012, 160 million. Um, yes, you know, already a lot of people. 200 million today. There's a lot of people that don't believe those numbers, by the way. There's a strong school of thought that there's just not that many people in Nigeria if you cross-reference other other data sources. But right. we're not going to go down that path. Oh, oh we are. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure we oh. are. So let's do okay. a two-minute diversion. Let's come really back on topic. Think. Tell us what you really think, Olympic. So Nigeria I, I doesn't think... have 160 million or 200 million people. <laughs> Wow. So, so I, I okay. think um, if we look at the, the population uh, rankings of different African countries, I think the gap from first to Nigeria, 200-ish to second, even if Nigeria's numbers are off by 10, 20, 30, 40%, yeah. I think most of the numbers still say it's a big market. It would still probably be the first, second, or third most populated country, even if you cut it by half. So, so, yeah, so you're saying that even if it's not, you don't believe it's true, but it's not meaningful. That fact is not exactly. a meaningful fact for like right, right, for a market right. assessment, be, for a growth assessment. Yeah, because second place is what, 100 million, 80 million, 90 million, it's like Ethiopia and DRC, right? So there's still a massive gap. A bigger question, which we should all think about is, what is the addressable market for your specific products? That's when you need to actually do some analysis. Like, are you selling to 2 million people, 5 million people, 6 million? The total, aka the denominator, I'm not as focused on because it depends on the products you're selling. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Other market context. At the time, 150 naira could get you a US dollar. <laughs> Fun times. We thought that was bad. Now, That's by the way, really that funny. number is in the parallel market, upwards of 600 naira today to a dollar. Yeah. Uh, it's 150 mm-hmm. naira to a dollar, which is crazy. And if you think about what that means for purchasing power, especially for import-dependent countries, for at least for the middle class, we don't have, mm. where we don't have a lot of domestic manufacturing of, say, I don't know, electronics or vehicles or... Or, right. or home appliances or, or textiles. We don't have just a lot of domestic manufacturing for those things. And if you're watching the dollar in a 10-year period, basically go for the Naira value, go down 4x from 150 to, six, to 600 Naira dollar. It's unbelievable. It's tough for purchasing power. Yeah, it's also tough if you raise uh, funds at, um, you raise dollars and then they expect you to pay them back in dollars. And even if your business does nothing, you're already yeah. 4x behind, not yeah. 40%, 4x. Yeah, dude. Jesus. You know, oh my it's, God, that's it's, hard to it's, even imagine. It's, it's, it's crazy because we talk about this, we talked about this in our pension episode, or was it an investing episode about pension funds? And yes, how, when we both worked in Nigeria, we had a pension and the pension contribution in Nigeria is very generous relatively. Yeah. I think it's yes. 20%. Shout out to Stambic ABTC. I think it's 20%. It's, you put when, 10. when I started, it was 7.5, then 10, then 12, I think. Yeah. So the company puts 10 to 12% of your salary automatically without yeah. you doing anything into the pension, which is quite nice. And then you can decide to put for yourself as yes, well. Yes, you can so match you, it. You can yes. match it. So people could put upwards of 
I think I had it was ten or twenty percent total. If somebody's going to remember yes. and, and correct me, yeah, I, I remember it was seven point five and seven point five. So Mackenzie put in seven point five, I put in seven point five, so it was fifteen. But yeah. now it's like ten and, and eight, ten yeah. and or twelve and eight, eight. twelve and eight, right? Yes, so yeah, you yeah, get exactly. twenty percent pre-tax into your pension, which is insane, right? Yes. Everybody should be saved for retirement and pension funds in Nigeria have grown to be big, except that in for most Nigerians, they've watched their retirement be decimated. Through these <laughs> policies, but let's not <laughs> let's not talk about that. Yeah, we, listen to our episodes about inflation uh, to talk more about that. Inflation um, and devaluation, double double whammy. Because don't forget, inflation is eighteen to twenty five percent. So yeah, and then some. There's a lot of more positives. So internet penetration was increasing. I saw a start mm. that it went from seven percent to twenty nine percent between two thousand seven and two thousand eleven. Cool. So there were more people coming online. All the retail, though, back to retail specifically. Retail was very informal, very little formal retail. And I remember every single article from the time talked about how Lagos, which at the time, 12 million people, had only two big malls, mm. which is instructive to think about. There was, it was ShopRite and there was the Keja Pumps, Keja Mall. Yes. Um, we just didn't have malls. And it was this big city, yeah. 12 million people, lots never more informal shopping. We just didn't have uh, yeah. malls at all. Growing up, I would go to the market with my mom. The market was like, open-ended market, open store market. There is no mall. You just go. It's like older, mostly female people selling stuff outside. Yeah. There is sort of an indoor, but it's just like open spread wide mall, but it's not like organized yeah. with fancy stuff and air conditioning, just like open markets were the norm for me yeah. and all my friends. It would it would actually be weird for me to think out of memory why my mom and I went to a mall. What the hell? Why would yeah. you go to a mall? And <laughs> it, it's interesting. With hindsight bias, you can look and say, man, e-commerce was dumb, but everybody was convinced that Africa, Nigeria was ready to leapfrog formal retail. You know how everybody said, oh, we never had landlines. We went straight to mobile. Yes. It's like, oh, we're never going to have big box stores like Target or Walmart. We're just going to go straight to yeah. e-commerce, right? And there's a quote that I really love from Sim, Elion, where he said, it's not so much there's an appetite for online shopping, is that there's an appetite for shopping in general. Retail here is mostly informal, fragmented. People want convenience, which gives us opportunity to leapfrog with e-commerce. So it was a very coherent thesis let's put it that way yeah uh, Africa it, it makes sense it, it, leapfrogged a lot of technology with our payments bank-to-bank -bank transfers were easier or are easier at least now even then way more than it was in the u.s and it's like we didn't have where we had gone through let's call it 10 years 2001 2011 at the time of gsm explosion and wealth creation it was time for another big story with e-commerce we do not need big box retail conga and jumia and e-commerce is going to save the day because yeah you know, all of that stuff it sort of makes sense. Um, on some of our episodes, we also talk about Flipkart in India. And Flipkart had the same initial momentum and hype. Um, unfortunately, it just seems e-commerce is a way harder business than it appears to be because of all the infrastructure dependency. And a lot of yeah. infrastructure dependency is not regular infra-dependency. It's government's infra-dependency, which is like even harder. Because like the roads, the, the post office, all those things. It's not it's, it's not easy for a regular individual business to, to, to do that. Um, so a tricky business, but I can see how it was potentially attractive at the time. I, I think, um, going back to my biases, I think it's more of a, what is the time needed and do the investors appreciate the time needed? I think now in 2022, a lot more people say it's more like a patient longer term thing. Um, so the, the GG approach of just waiting seems to be much more appreciated. But versus then, I think people thought it was going to happen way faster. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to the end a little bit, but as we, as we talk just through the intersection, I'm thinking maybe e-commerce is not even the problem. Maybe Nigeria is the problem. Because if the currency, <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's, 
it's easy to say because every it's time funny, man. there was initial starts of every time they would do their Black Friday equivalent, they call it Yakata sales. Dreamer had an equivalent thing. They would like double last year's volumes, have some numbers later on the podcast. They would like triple. They planned for 2x capacity. They got 6x. They, they were seeing some demand. But you can't make money with in uncertain government policy. So maybe that was, maybe it's a country race, not even an e-commerce story. But let's see where we get into that later on the podcast. Anyways. Right. So there was positivity around e-commerce. So okay. I'll, I'll add a clip now from a previous episode on ULESSON where we went into some background on SIM and on all these different entrepreneurial ventures. Let me let me talk about the founder. So Sim Shagaya was born in Nigeria into a military family, attended a pretty intense military secondary school. What does um, pretty intense mean? Yeah, Morning it was pretty workouts. intense. Let me, let me even give some context. Some story. He, went, he went to Nigerian military school, Zaria. Also, by the way, mm-hmm. did, did you know my dad was in the army? And when oh. I was thinking of high schools, um, it, Nigerian, NMS and other military schools were in the conversation. And like even oh a nine-year-old me knew very well that like, <laughs> This is not going to be good for me. <laughs> Michael was begging his parents, like, please don't send me to military don't, school. Don't send me to military oh school. God. I'm a good kid. Um, oh, anyway, scary. so he did that. Okay. He went to George Washington University. Um, yeah, G- where he G- electrical engineering. G-Dub. He went to Dartmouth, got an MS, and he went to yeah. Harvard where he got his MBA. Okay. And in terms is, of timing, GW was 1993 to 1997. Dartmouth was 1997 to 1998. And then HBS, 2001-2003. Yeah, so fairly yeah. recent. Also, I found somewhere that before he went to college, he served in the army for two years. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, Nigerian army for two years. Okay. And then it was like, ah, not for me. I'm going to go to. Right, right. And okay, as the story flows, when we said he went to GW, he studied electrical engineering. So you can already see some tech engineering leanings. When he went to Dartmouth, he had a master's in engineering management. So again, yeah. you can see some engineering slash tech leanings in his background. Summary, great schools. Work experience. Right. He worked in consulting before. A small oh, consulting firm really? for two years before HBS, actually. Like ma- management consulting or another type of consulting? Like business engineering consulting type consulting. Regular business in the US, regular business, regular job. Right, right. Guy. And then he went to Harvard Business School. Okay. And then he came back to Nigeria, I think, and mm-hmm. worked at Van Merchant Bank for two years. He was a VP at Van Merchant Bank doing deals for two years and worked on a number yeah. of like really interesting deals. All of this from yeah. his LinkedIn, by the way. And the money because it's what you do what is what you do when you come out of business school is that you help businesses raise money and then he went to <laughs> tech and he led google africa google's africa business for a year yeah which i thought was a very interesting time to be in and out for 2006 hit, and it, seven. hit it and quit it in and out yep yeah and then in 2006 mm-hmm. just about the same time he went to google he started an outdoor advertising business so okay Bangalore, did you know that he had startups before this? I was shocked to find this. Did you see before, that? Before 2006? I thought it was yeah. the same time as 2006, where he had a bunch of different like things he did. I that. have 2005, 2006. But the weird thing is he was working at the time. So strange. Anyway, he had a bunch of less popular businesses we can quickly talk about. You want me to take it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so a dating website. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a job website, a classified site, and strangely, I was shocked to find this, a media streaming service. So basically, yeah. Iroko, but um, five years earlier. So, and, and the weird thing about all these startups was, if we say the timing was, let's just say 2005, 2007, because we're not sure exactly when they started, internet penetration was between 2 and 4%, depending on the African country. So extremely unlikely that most of these companies would have succeeded, unless you had like a very, very niche offering. Because um, all these yeah. products, like the dating site can apply to everyone. A job site and everyone classified. So interesting, um, but seemed like a little bit early in retrospect. So anyway, he had a bunch of smaller uh, startups. 
which seemed before their time. And then you were going to talk about Emotion. Yeah. So Emotion, like outdoor advertising business, they mm. owned, operated like advertising assets. So basically billboards on the highway, right. billboards, lease it to businesses, right. make a lot of money. How, I thought that was how, very how would I understand that? I guess technically that's not a tech business, right? It's a media business and, and it right. could very well be a tech business depending on how it, how it was operated and sold. But it seems like get right. a bunch of assets and it seems like more a financing business, which is you, yeah. a lot of capex I, up front and then you get a lot of income. I personally find outdoor advertising to be fascinating because on one hand, you'd be like, well, who's looking at billboards outside? But if you look at the data, data in terms of spend, the amount of spend that goes to outdoor advertising has actually been very resilient, even mm -hmm. when a lot of people just assume, oh, everything's on the internet. So very, yeah. I, I wouldn't pay to advertise outdoors, but you know, it depends what kind of company you're running. It depends on your budget. What if you're yeah. trying to do brand advertising versus performance? Uh, anyway, a very, very resilient form of advertising, surprisingly. Yeah, resilient business too. So he... Yeah. he Started this and ran it for a long time. I think most recently, like sold in 2019 to another Nigerian ads business as well. The life of a startup which is crazy. Was very Basically, good. 14 to 15 years before exit. So yeah, startup life is long life. Um, yeah. If you think about from founding to exit. But he left in 2010 or 11. Yeah, so yeah. He, just he, on he left earlier. But I'm talking about the, the full lifetime of the business. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2010, 11, he started Deal Day, which mm. is, let's call it Groupon. It's Nigerian Groupon. It's a Groupon clone. Basically, sure. deals you get a concert, but it's like you know twenty percent off on this side, and they have a certain number. Exactly. Yeah, it was very good, and they raised money very quickly. Yeah, I, I was not in Nigeria at this time. What was the the uh, emotional feeling and vibe? It and was hype, it was like, dope. It was dope. You check deal day first. You want to buy something? You got to check deal day. You want to get good con get tickets to a concert? You want to check deal day. Did they sell like physical physical goods? Physical goods. Digital goods, um, by digital goods, mostly tickets. I don't remember tickets, I don't know what, tickets, what, a digital, digital what a digital would be, but like tickets to events, experiences. Mm. Okay. okay. Basically Groupon. Okay. So basically like Groupon. Okay. Basically okay, like okay. Groupon. I see. I see. Did they have like uh, restaurant reservations? At some point, Groupon was going hard on like, you have like a 40% deal to this restaurant if 20 or No? I don't mostly remember. Tickets. I don't remember. I, mo I remember okay. it for, for like deals on electronics and then tickets and event okay, tickets. Okay. Oh, two things okay, I remember. Okay. So, so they raised $1 million in, two, $1 million in 2011, another $5 million Series B in 2015. Right. Um, there are rumors of them uh, trying to sell for $75 million, no longer after. Oh, my God. Yeah, but the all of these are rumors. Well, we have struggle. this podcast. Spread all the rumors. Yeah, no, if you have I, any rumors, email us rumors at affordability.com. No, we info not, not at affordability.com. <laughs> info at. <laughs> um, in 2015, they laid off 60% of their workforce. And yeah. they re reportedly sold to resold in 2016, so a year after they raised a Series B, for five million dollars. I right. thought that was, I th that was interesting. I think the whole market, the whole market for Groupon clones, rode through like a lot of hype, a lot of high valuations. But even Groupon itself yeah. um, didn't didn't do so well in terms of like valuation and exit. So obviously, if you're cloning it yeah. in a smaller market, you're not going to do well. Um, an interesting corollary, though. The most famous Groupon clone is actually Meituan Dianping, which is one of the biggest companies in China. It like it found it found a way to be successful in China by doing more than Groupon. But yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised that the outcome wasn't so successful. But a good attempt. Coming back from that clip on Sam, so Sam had started Deal Day, which was a Groupon clone, and from yes, Deal Day, I remember that it was very clear to see the opportunity that man, they're getting all these deals. They were getting a lot of traction. I remember being in Nigeria and getting stuff from Deal Day as well, like movie tickets and concert tickets and getting a group together because, you know, university, you know, like boy hunting deals. 
Right. Um, and the deal date timeline looks like it was like 2011. So yeah. very, very close to the Conga timeline. Yeah. He basically left deal day to start Conga with similar right. investors. So Kinevik also came over from deal day to Conga. Um, mm. So he used that proximity to entrepreneurship and, and to that problem of people wanting to buy things to start Conga. Um, then his experience found in deal day led him to start Conga as well. So that's a sim background. Very cool. Nigerian moved to America, came back to, to do a bunch of businesses, worked at Google, great background, and eventually yeah. thought it would make sense for him to do something in the e-commerce space. And for the audience, maybe I'll add this to the show notes. Please watch some of the interviews. He has some interviews on, I think, CNN. Yeah. He had some interviews on just a bunch of different websites. And I think a lot of the questions were understanding how big could this be? How interesting could this be? And I think he had a broad vision for what he thought yeah. Congo would become. And it was compelling. And it was believable. And I believed it right. at the time. Like it's easy with mm-hmm. hindsight bias to look on talk all this all e-commerce and logistics and unit costs, but it was compelling at the time, which is why wouldn't we buy things online? And why wouldn't we live from formal retail? Formal retail socks and malls and whatever. We what we really need is click a button, get stuff delivered. We have all these motorcycles. If somebody could build something with motorcycles and deliver stuff, avoid traffic, it was it was a coherent thesis end to end. With hindsight bias, yeah. you can look back and say, yeah, yeah, yeah but it was a very yeah. clear um, internet penetration is increasing. Mobile phones are everywhere all of a sudden. When 10 years ago, they were nowhere. Uh, let's build e-commerce. Yeah. Let's use an anal- analogous industry. So uh, telcos, right? So on one hand, if we take out, because our hindsight bias, we're a little bit biased. But if we take out the hindsight bias and we say telco business, you also need a lot of towers. You need a bunch of infrastructure. And you're serving the same markets. And they don't have access to that. So why did that turn out differently? I think what, what we'll, we'll see is that business is a little bit different for multiple reasons. The first reason is um, the kinds of companies that were telcos, they already understood what happened in similar developing markets, and they basically ported their strategies. They didn't sort of, quote unquote, start from scratch. So MTN was already in a bunch of other developing countries. And then number two, let's be honest cell service is way more attractive because you don't have any close competitors. Like if you don't have a cell phone, what's the comparison? Are you going to use a landline in your uncle's house? But this, you just go to the store, like you just go to the open market like before. So I think the second best alternative Delta was so wide, just ended up being a very, very different compelling argument for consumers. I would say even primarily unit economics were just way better because just just it scales. And what we discovered with e-commerce, what we now know is... It's not a fixed cost business. It's a variable cost yeah. business, right? Right. Telcos are a fixed cost business. And if you can spread that cost over a lot of users, you get a lot more. But e-commerce, you know, was thought to be a fixed cost business as well. But then you realize each motorcycle, you know, all the customer service yeah. you need to chase the motorcycles. Like, right. oh my God. It's yeah, and let's be clear, I'm not business. a fan of telco businesses either. Like, m- maybe that's just me. Okay. You um, don't know, Olumde, you don't know what's going on. Anyways, <laughs> when you know, when you when know, you for know, those that know, MCN had a strategy, send me a message. If, you know, if, <laughs> when you see the numbers, you I, it, I'm not that. Don't get it, forget about it. <laughs> okay, should I start the, the launch strategy yeah. or, or anything else on the founding don't, piece before I start okay, the launch piece? You don't care about Africa's telcos. Anyways. Anything else? Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's talk about okay. it. Okay. All right. So, so th- th- thank you, Bank. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the launch strategy, but I'm going to do something a little bit differently today. So I'm going to simultaneously talk about the launch strategy and the fundraising. So I'm going to do it back to back in one continuous flow instead of doing a separate segment. Okay. So launch strategy. So 2012 January, around the beginning of 2012, 
they raised some money they sim raised some money from shinovic and for for podcast listeners shinovic is actually famous right so they're, again they're the swedish holding company that has a bunch of they have a portfolio but their portfolio is in a lot of developing countries like- they have a lot of investments in asia latin america africa and they tend to focus or they tend to invest early so listen to some of our former episodes i think they also invested in bima health right yeah so bima health two, if my memory's right their portfolio right. they're actually a very successful very, very successful. If you haven't heard of them, they're very successful. They're early investors in a lot of companies that um, mm-hmm. you've heard of or not heard of uh, in different times. Okay, so uh, we're just talking about Shinovic, famous Swedish company. They've done a lot of uh, yeah. deals in emerging markets. So they were the first investors and they invested $3.5 million in the seed round. Okay, yeah. so that's and if, and if early, early 2020. And if you don't know Shinovic, they're a prolific international holding company, early investors in Delivery Hero, Groupon, HelloFresh, Lazada. Oof. Livongo, nice. like they've Oof. Zalando, they've Oof. they've done a bunch of good stuff. Avito as well like from that. the um, classified episodes. They're also a yeah. frequent a frequent trading partner of our favorite with CVC Naspers. Like all I, this, I, almost all their exits are to Naspers. It's kind of wild. I, I, I there's something I find oddly uh, amusing and awesome about uh, investing partners, like groups of people that typically invest together. Okay, so that's 2012 January. 2012 June, they mm-hmm. actually had their formal launch. And there was a lot of buzz, like we mentioned earlier. They launched the massive marketing campaign. Very soon afterwards, again, in 2013 January, they raised $10 million. So, the so fact one thing, raised- sorry, just to interrupt you real quickly, is Jumia also launched about the same time, right? C- correct. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. By coincidence, both of them launched around yeah, 2012 summer. Coincidence. Rocket. Very odd. Very odd to launch around the same time. But, you know, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, 2013, January, so six months after the launch, Congo raised $10 million. So that was their Series A. Yeah. Again, from Shinovig and Nasper. So clearly, the initial numbers were good because while else would they double dip? Also, very strange. They needed so much money afterwards. But I guess not so strange when you figure out the intensive, the capital intensive nature of the business. So that's $10 million. Series a. One other thing there is uh, Nasper at the time also had Kalahari.com.ng. As well, so there was a, there was a conviction that e-commerce was going to be big in yes um, in Africa. It was a clear conviction. Yeah. And if you listen to our OLX episode, affordability.com slash OLX, you'll see that Naspers really, really likes classified slash e-commerce businesses. So, so Naspers basically has uh, five or six sectors, and they go deep in investments in those six sectors around the globe. Um, so payments, uh, food delivery, classifieds, and on and on. Also listen to our affordability.com slash Naspers. Okay, so coming back to the story. 2013 Q2, Conga started beta testing, Bianchi, Conga mm-hmm. Mall. Okay, and what's Conga Mall? Conga Mall is a platform third-party play that enables third-party sellers sell stuff. So basically, already very quickly, they've only launched for nine months to a year. They've already figured out that the first-party stuff is not the shit. That like that's not where they want to focus. They want to focus on being a middleman marketplace that enables sellers and buyers come together and then just take a margin. Yeah. So yeah, so you can see it's very easy to criticize the company, but even they they could tell that probably just to reduce our costs and scale faster, let's do this model. Context the audience, more info about this model. So this is much more like eBay, where they don't necessarily have warehouses or have infrastructure costs. They just connect buyers and sellers. Now, in this case, obviously, Conga still had warehouses, right? They're doing both. They're both doing first party and third party. But just the fact they already started focusing on this shows they were looking at the numbers and they probably thought this market was something they could do and be more successful with, which is the opposite of like OLX and GG. Like if you listen to GG, GG was always doing this. They're basically a, a pure marketplace. Becky, yeah. any thoughts on the Conga Mall third party marketplace? One, one, one thread you see, at least I saw as I prepared for this, is Conga appeared to do all the right things at different times. 
it, 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 well, writers, retrospect, with the benefit of hindsight, you can say, um, they, you know, oh my God, you want to go into third party because it's higher margin, less risk, and right. like, you know, monetize your customers differently. All right. margin. And less capital intensive. Yeah, less capital intensive. They did that, you know. Um, we need to build an integrated thing to do delivery, cash and delivery, localized, they did that. And this is just yes. an example of them just going ahead and, and doing those things, but still not having at least the outcome that Naspers or Kinevik wanted. Kinevik, Kinevik. Right, right. And context for the audience, they did this earlier than Jumia. So if you listen to our Jumia episode, afrobleed.com slash Jumia episode number two, Jumia also did this, but they did this a little bit later. Okay, so fast forward to the story. At the end of 2013, aka beginning of 2014, Congo raised even more money. So their Series B, they raised around $25 million. Again, mm. from Shinovic and from Naspers. And apparently, this was the largest single round ever invested in an African startup at the time, which is funny because it's such a small amount. I guess the game has changed yeah, so much. Yeah, there's, there's, Like, people are raising $25 million now pre-seed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's $25 million, I'm not even talking to anybody about it. Like, $25 million, I'm not even trying to, like, I don't want to get into TechCrunch. It's not, it's not yeah. big enough. The next round will tell people. Right, right. So, so, and then t- middle of 2014, they rebranded Conga Mall as Conga Marketplace and made some announcements that they wanted to focus even more on that. Um, and, and let me give a little bit more detail about this. Think about it like a spectrum. So on one hand of the spectrum, on the left side, you're doing all first party sales. So you buy something, you try to sell it for a higher price, and then you build warehouses to store it. On the other side of the scale is you literally have no inventory. You're just a website. Yeah. You land. People put stuff and connect. Now, obviously, the spectrum, left side of the spectrum is where a lot of people think Amazon started because Amazon was first party. Eventually, Amazon also does some third party now. Mm-hmm. Right side of the spectrum is Alibaba in China and then also like eBay. But it looked like Congo was trying to shift a little bit to the marketplace side of the spectrum by focusing more on this. And the monetization, we'll talk more about monetization later, but depending on what part of the spectrum you're on, your monetization is a little bit different. So if you're doing the Alibaba, eBay type stuff, of course, you're going to do advertising and merchant fees. And if you're doing first party, first party, of course, you just have a margin on how much you buy versus how much you sell. So slightly different monetization strategies based on what you pick. Yeah. And and one of the challenges is... is is the variety is how you can grow and flex that depending on, on whatever market you're in. Anyways, we'll talk about that in yeah. development detail. Yeah, and then everyone ends up doing a little bit of both. I remember a few years ago when there were announcements that Amazon was not making money, more money from its third party sellers than first party. So eventually you do a little bit of both, and it just depends on what part of the spectrum you want to play in. Okay, fast forward 2014, October, Series C. Man, they're raising money at such a crazy rate, dude. Like six months, maybe, nine maybe, months, maybe, six months. Maybe, this is what the hell is going on. Blowing that money, man. <laughs> Spend it, raise it, blow it, blow it. I don't yeah, blow, blow is a bit, blow is a bit flippant, but yeah, they, they actually need to spend a lot of that money to <laughs> to serve these customers, right? Blow that shit. Okay, ah. sorry. Um, so Conga raised forty million dollars from Shinovic <laughs> and Naspers in late twenty fourteen, and again, it was announced as the most, the largest ever raised by an African startup. Obviously, because the it was larger than the one previously. The context um, here, so the context that's important here is. It's easy to look at these things as aggressive, but Jumia was raising, <laughs> like, Jumia was also raising, like, people possessed, and then they were playing a different game. It's the equivalent of, I'm trying to find the Western tech equivalent, but it's two companies raising, and one of that companies, like, mm-hmm. Uber and Lyft, basically. Like, Lyft yeah. had a much more local strategy, measured expansion, yeah. and Uber was like, we're launching in Munich, Hamburg. You know, everything, London, uh, Vienna, China, Russia, Vienna, as, as long as there are people, as long as people live there, yeah. <laughs> we're launching there. And Lyft was like, we're in New York, San Francisco, Dallas, Seattle. And they're like, nope, nope. Yeah. We're in like Stuttgart. We're in 
we're in like a tier two city in yes in tier two city in Hungary. Like we're everywhere. Um, That's the best example, actually. So they were raising at the same they were raising at the same pace, and Conga had to keep raising to compete because not only did Jumia have a lot of money in their primary market Nigeria uh, for their primary for Jumia's primary market Nigeria, Jumia was threatening to take away their international expansion opportunities before they even got there. Um, yes. So they had to raise. I was making a comment about mm-hmm. this when we started the podcast, and I was talking about the similarity of like e-commerce hype mm-hmm. in 2012 to 2014 to fintech hype 2018 to 2022. I think a slight difference is the fintech hype is much more dispersed. Like there are a lot of different business models. Now, over time, those business models will probably converge. I always talk about like personal finance mm-hmm. OS or infrastructure OS, but it's quite different. Like this is two companies doing basically the exact same thing, except one is going more internationally. But now there's like, you know, there's like neobanks and there's infrastructure players and there's saving stuff and there's uh, investing and there's... So it's, it's a little bit more, more dispersed. I wouldn't say that's better or worse. I'll just say there are, there are more players doing different things now and they don't require the same infrastructure moats. So maybe a little bit different than before. Or a cynic would say... <laughs> Bankole Makonji would say, a say hater, it in your chest. A hater don't would say, say a cynic. Say I would say A hater it. would say <laughs> the same thing is actually happening. Fintech is a wrong grouping. It's happening mm-hmm. peer-to-peer payment apps. It's happening in mm-hmm. in API layer apps. It's happening in those right. individual where there's three companies <clears throat> doing the same thing, just out raising each other every six months. <laughs> uh, if I get another email with a what's it? Uh, <laughs> should I should I? It's the it's a remittances app based on stable coins. People <laughs> stop, man. It's enough. We know stable coins. It, that has to end. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a, that's one of those things where maybe it's not maybe in e-commerce was happening, but e-commerce compared to say API layer apps, API mm-hmm. for lending apps, you know, or there's one API to rule them all apps. It's a pitch I've seen a lot. Oh yeah. Or, yes. uh, or there's just a bunch of those things. Peer-to-peer payment apps is a pitch you see a lot as well. Wallet apps. I love that. You see a lot. Yes. Ah, so good. Oh, okay. Um, in addition to the 2014 October Series C. A bunch of rumors also claimed that Naspers increased their stake by getting some um, some ownership from Shinovic. Okay, um, that's the early launch story, and that's the early fundraising story simultaneously. Here are my observations. First observation is, throughout the early history, they were almost always compared to Jumia, because Jumia was doing something very similar, raising a lot of money, expanding. Second observation is, they were very, very Nigeria-focused. Um, as Jumia was expanding in different countries and trying different things, they tried to focus just on Nigeria. And in fact, they were focused on some specific cities in Nigeria. Third observation is highly, uh, highly concentrated cap table. Mm. So bizarre. Their cap table only has two people. What the hell? I don't think we've ever seen that before. We've seen few players, but just to have two people for four different rounds, that's very odd, um, especially because they're not institutional investors. They're more like corp, although, well, depending on how you think about Shinovic, but they're atypical investors. So I thought that was, those, those are three very interesting observations. I would say NASPAs are... You know, Naspas is like I like share and I want share. You know, um, bundle preference. But it, it's, it's, it's it's one of Naspas is one of those companies. Naspas, if they like it, they're gonna get it all, right? What makes right. you think that Naspas is? What happened to take a lot? What happened? Like that's the Naspas playbook before this, after this, to that classifies business to OLX. They didn't invest in OLX. They're like we we want all of it. We're not really yeah, doing the sharing but, business. But, but even even with OLX, OLX had a lot of investors initially, and then Naspers bought them all out. This is right from the jump. It was just two people. It was very very odd. Naspers came in early and said, "I'm the captain now. <laughs> I have money. I have Do you money. have money? Yeah, I have money. <laughs> you don't have money. Don't come. What's this fundraising thing you are doing? What's all this pitch? What's a pitch deck? Yeah, you know we don't do pitch Hilarious. decks. We do it in the board meeting. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I think that was a big chunk of it. Any observations from you from the fundraising and early launch strategy? The other thing that happened is how um, we we talk a lot about NASPERS. I mean, at least when we started the podcast, talking about NASPERS, needing NASPERS to do more with fintech. And as Please. we go into detail with all the things that NASPAS has done and seen in Africa Tech, we have just developed right. a ton more sympathy. Because, but, but, but do we, though? You have more sympathy. I, I, I have, don't have I'm that a, much I'm sympathy. A, I'm a kind of person. I have respect they, for my elders. You, <laughs> they've only ever done like e-commerce and classifieds plays from five years ago. I mean, is that is that enough, though? So, that sounds just so weird. So in 2015, 2016, so if you look at the time of the last fundraise, right, that's when the Naira mm-hmm. went to complete. That's when the Naira started Shit. them. So let dilly dally. Naira started start break dancing. Start break dancing, right? <laughs> Every day, new rates. That's when the Naira started break dancing. That's when. Ah, I remember. I moved out of Nigeria 2014. 160, 180, 240, 360. Like, what? I, I, in 2015, I was in London for a few months. I was using my GT Bank Naira. Just to, the idea of it. Like, I was leaving, I was going out to, to dinners. Okay, I'm paying my GT Bank Naira domestic card because the rates. Three months after that summer, Everything became two hundred dollar a month limit. I think today, as of today, I think it's a hundred dollar a month you can spend on a Nigerian card internationally, or twenty dollars. Basically zero. Basically, don't month. spend any money. Basically. Anyways, um, back to back to like this. The story is back to Naspers. Mm-hmm. Is Naspers spent um money and they still supported them even in this period of initial period of real exchange, um, interest rates, domestic financial policy uncertainty. Naspers yeah. and Kinevik continue to put money into this bad boy. Yes. Yeah, I, I give Shinovic a lot of respect. Naspers, I mean, they're in Rand, right? Rand isn't the hottest currency in the world. <laughs> so Naspers is I in think, Tencent. I I you, are, you, are, you must be confusing <laughs> Naspers with somebody else. Naspers is a Tencent company. Okay. Um, Anyways. While we're talking about Naspers, a quote. So 2015 July from the CEO at the time of Naspers, so Bob Van Dyke, our friend, he said, quote, the Nigerian market is not as structured as a modern market, but it has a very large population. It has very encouraging growth prospects, so we invest in classifieds. We also are by now a majority shareholder in a business called Conga, which does pretty much exactly what Takealot.co.za does in South Africa and Nigeria, and it's doing it really well. So it looked like, it looked like as of mid-2015, they still felt very bullish yeah. on the outlook on the prospects of Conga. In 2016, I'm not sure what the trigger for this was. I'm sure somebody knows is going to email us. Um, but it started to the web traffic started to go down. I saw this quote, web traffic on the major e-commerce sites, all-time low. Conga fell 113 places in web right. ranking during the first three months of 2016. Juma fell by 183 places. So yes. People just were just people were just over yeah. it. I guess. But back, I, th- I think you know you just don't want to say it. They uh, reduced their advertising budget, and it was one of the major recessions in Nigeria. So yeah, if you're not, mm-hmm. it, most of it is just advertising driven. Like it's not like people are organically going to Juma Conga. Advertising so driven, discount budget. driven. Yeah. Yeah, discounts, and then it was recession. So, you know, the rest is history. Well, the, Na- the Naira honestly went up. Um, it was 150. I think the first time he started delidaling was to delidaling to 200. So, that, <laughs> if, if, you're, if everything, literally, like, I'm looking at the Conga Jumia website now, at least in 2015, how much of things you see that were built, manufactured, designed in Nigeria, right? So, it's all hmm. it's all dollar, dollar denominated, dollar margin. So, the price is going to go up, and people are like, Nah, I'm not really checking that website, fam. <laughs> yeah, and um, so we're going to talk more about the product piece later. I'll just give, I had an experience. So in 2013, I was going to buy a microwave in my apartment. And of course, I immediately went to Conga and Jumia. I compared those on both sides. Mm-hmm. I decided to use Conga and I ordered this um, Samsung microwave. And then yeah. I got an email 
or someone called me. I remember saying, oh, the microwave you ordered is out of stock. We don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I was really impressed by the customer service because they're like, oh, here are three models, yeah. which are basically the same. They fall in the same price range. Do you want to order it? Mm-hmm. If yes, we'll restock it. We'll send it. So I think um, at least from a customer experience, customer support perspective, as of eight, nine years ago, they were doing a good job just doing that. So I give them props yeah. for that. They had to. They had to. Okay. That's okay. essentially how they raised money and grew and how the investors stuck with them, right? And let's right. talk about how they actually made money or how they plan to make money, which may or may not be the same thing. So monetization, how they make money. So typically in retail, you have first party, third party. First party, you yes. tend to make a retail margin. Um, in the US, that can be as low as 4% if you're Walmart and you're able to squeeze margins. Right. Uh, two to 3% Costco. Like, but it's, it's a really tight band because it's very competitive. And undifferentiated exactly. for the most part, right? So even yes, it, it, there is a range depending on what specifically you're selling. Some things yeah. have higher margins, some have lower margins, and it's a wide range. But for the most part, it's quite low it's as quite a business. Low overall. It's a scale business. Yeah. So which is why Walmart has to be big and this company has to be big. Okay. Um, so on the first party, they make a margin depending on what they're selling. The margin is different. Uh, on the third parties, they tend to charge a commission. Uh, we talked a bit about a marketplace business, whether it's seller fulfilled or Conga fulfilled, they had a warehouse, they charged fees to store and yes. send your packages. So they ostensibly made money from those things. Not not yes. looking at their annual report. If you have it, if you have the management account, send it. Send it to, <laughs> we'll, we'll review it and tell you on the next episode. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't, if you want to be uh, secretive, we can use a signal and all these other things. Or if you don't give a shit, just email us. But we can, to, we're open to private channels. I'm not going to tell want. anybody. So they also had, so okay. that first party, third party, um, mm-hmm. And the third parties, I saw that they charge a commission that can be as low as 3%. I couldn't find any historical mm. things. That seems fine. But, you know, whenever I see as low as or up to, ah, I instantly just be that, like, ah, you people are. That's your, your cloud. Also, a note about third-party marketplace. The most evolved is Alibaba because they have the highest revenue. And they actually have different ways they make money. The biggest one is advertising slash promotions yeah they also have like subscription fees so if you're a merchant on alibaba mm-hmm. you can pay a, a, like a subscription then you get different things so i think over time that area has the potential but that's if you can get to the kind of scale alibaba got to which conga ne- never got to no even amazon amazon has a ton of or even amazon exactly yes the ad business amazon is, has a bunch of third is, is fire and and they're making Massive. a lot of money from um from their third-party sellers yeah they also had something called conga pay which i think is really cool um, ah, yes. Let's talk about you register that. with your bank accounts on the phone number on the website. When you check out, they send you an OTA. You put in the OTA and boom, transaction completed. Which is kind of yes. like a really o- o- cool o- o- OTP, you mean one-time password. One, oh, OTA is over the air. Yeah, it's weird. Um, yes, yes yeah, OTA one, is a different context. One-time yeah. <laughs> one <laughs> password, yeah. They send you a yes, one-time yes, password yes. and you put it in and then you can pay, which is which is pretty cool. And and they, and they launched it early. They launched it like Super 2015, so like yeah. three-ish years after they launched, and they actually had a broad vision for it. And one thing we should talk about related to this bank at some point is payments on delivery, because when they announced Conga Pay, the whole point of announcing Conga Pay was to reduce payments on delivery, because that can mess up your whole cost basis. Yeah. So I can talk about it now or, or later if you yeah. want. So we, we, we will just talk about payment on delivery in a second, actually. So they did mm-hmm. Conga Pay, which was interesting, because they had to do payment on delivery because people were going from touch and feel re- informal commerce uh, and wanting to help people bridge that gap. So everybody says, oh, why not let people touch it and then pay on delivery? Except, yeah. hmm, except hmm. People, Returns. people will not pay. Mm-hmm. People will pay and try to return and then make you pay for the two-way logistics two times. So to drop off and then to pick up. 
Right. People would set up scams, which I've heard happens with Uber in many of these markets. Just take Uber to the um, to a sketch neighborhood. Like imagine a delivery guy you go to and there's like 20 people in the house with weapons and they were like, drop the drop the microwave. <laughs> Give me a little bit of this microwave. Yeah, there were, there were stories. There were stories like that, right? So it's funny. It was very difficult to enforce if that happens. Are you going to go back there? Like, it's just not a not an option all the time. So that was a very tough. Payment and delivery was very tough for them. Hence, Congress to try tough. to take that down. Um, take that, make that better. Yes. Yeah, and another thing about POD, which was weird to me, is so a lot of times when people think about payment on delivery, they think that automatically means cash. So when I did payment on delivery, I yeah. would still pay with my debit card because the person would bring a POS. But all the stats show actually there's a lot of cash there, which leads, then there's the ability for like more risk and the drivers are going around with cash. Yeah. The delivery person has done seven deliveries, has so much cash, it's a safety issue. Yeah. There's just a bunch of downstream effects. But the biggest one is just it messes up your cost because you expect revenue to be X on Y dates. But then on Y date, the revenue never materializes, even though you already placed the order. So it messes up everything from yeah. an accounting perspective as well. Okay, so anyways, that's how that conga um, made, made money from the conga. That conga. They, there's a lot of, that company, that company has evolved, <laughs> right? Has evolved through an acquisition and, and, and looks somewhat different now, but that's the reality of how they made money. So first party, 3P, and then conga pay. They had some affiliate marketing as well, which is very similar, but they didn't quite make money from that. They just used it to drive more 1P, 3P sales um, mm. uh, as well on their platform. Exactly what they did. Mm. Okay, I'll talk about competition and their geographic expansion um, mm-hmm. and all the countries they expanded to. Yes, a lot of them. A lot of them. I think they were in 45, 75. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe start there. They, they, they were very Nigeria focused. I think that's one of the things that, in retrospect, people have said, put them off. I, disag- I kind of disagree with that. I actually want to hear what I, you think. I, I definitely disagree. That like, it's yeah. not Nigeria focused. One country strategy makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I'm I'm not being sarcastic because I sense you're being sarcastic. I can't tell. No, no, I'm I'm hundred percent okay. serious. Okay. Do you want us to talk about it now? Because yeah. I have some thoughts. Let's on Let's talk about it because because yeah, that's everybody what says, I, I like oh. your Uber and Lyft analogy. Because everybody says Jumia survived because they were in many different countries, and mm-hmm. like, did they survive? Um, also, yeah. How do you define survival? Yeah, exactly. But Conga was very focused on Nigeria, and I and many people have said, man, and many entrepreneurs I talk to now always say a lot of like, look, Nigeria is risky. You want to diversify and be in many different countries. Understood. And I kind of Understood. have a very different uh, point of view. Yeah. So I have I have a lot of thoughts. I'll try to keep it short. So I think there are pros and cons of geographic strategy, of course, right? And it's not like a black and white thing. Yeah, it depends on I the agree. specific business. It depends on all the all those ifs, ifs, nuances, whatever. In this specific case, if you think about if you think about the timeline, let's pick a 2015 timeline, right? The numbers are already starting to go a little bit down, right? Yeah. It's clear things aren't going as well, which means you need to think about, oh, how do I win my major market? Why would you expand? Like, you should only expand when you know you're winning and you have some structure and stability in your home core market. So for me, I think about expansion as I'm already doing something well. Yeah. I've already locked down my what customers. What are you expanding? I- Yes, and then you expand something with that's successful. Because what if you expand and it's unsuccessful? You're just losing even more money. So I think people need to think about the stage of the business they're at. And for me, in 2015 was not the time to expand because their core home market, they didn't have the unit economics right. Why would you expand? You just expand and make more losses. But, but a, a cynic would say... Um, not Nigeria government risk, I know. No, I know. no, 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 not even Nigeria government risk. It's, it's, you're, you're play, you have to be playing a different game. So if you're playing a game that gets you to IPO, you make a game that gets you to the next round, right? That's the game you play because the pitch for the people who are getting money from are non-African investors. 
There were not really fully formed African funds at the time. I guess. And telling but people are, are you're going to be are, the Amazon of Nigeria is not as interesting as the Amazon of Africa. Dude, I, I had, guess, but at the end of the day, are you an entrepreneur playing uh, games to raise money? Are you an entrepreneur okay. trying to serve a market and solve customer problems? Okay. What are you, which game are you doing? I think, I think a good amount of people are playing the former game. And that's fair. I don't, I don't think anyone okay. is better or worse than Fine. the other. Okay, so it's clear that it's okay. a different game. And Olumde, I it's easy to talk about it in terms of, oh, you want to build a big business and you want to build a sustainable long-term business. But you want to build a big business that's able to raise, and it's easy to go one way or another. And I think mm. the ease of raising, if you're going to if you're going to get a meeting with Sequoia in 2015, right? Then just Sequoia is like a blue chip VC in 2015. And say, oh, we're building the Amazon of Nigeria. They'll be like, hmm. We're building the Amazon of Africa. They'll be like, aha. You know? That aha is what you need. Okay. Yeah. You remember when we looked at, was it Interswitch or any of these companies where we have public data, you see 95% yes. of revenues are from Nigeria. Like 90, yes, of course. They can be in 16 countries and they were like 93% are from Nigeria. So it's like, what are we, what are we doing? Yeah. But the story though, the story right. has to allow you fundraise. And I think that's I'm an interesting so thing from GTM. I'm so glad we have the counterfactual. Normally we never have the counterfactual, but like, I don't remember the exact numbers, but Jumia expanded to X number of countries. Two Wait, years later, Jumia expanded to 23 countries. Let me oh, put this oh, in context. Yes, exactly. 23 countries. Right. Echo Bank is the Pan African Bank. That's literally a tagline. <laughs> Echo Bank is in 32 Afri- 36 now. 36 African countries. Yeah. 2014, I think they were in 32 or 29 African countries. Jumia was in mm-hmm. 23. GT Bank. Well, you can see the counterfactual, though. They pulled out from almost, I think, 80% yeah. of those countries two years later. So GT Bank is in 11 African countries. Access Bank is in seven. What is Jumia selling in 23 <laughs> African countries? How many people have right. been to 23 African countries? But, yeah. but, but they raised a lot of money. They raised a lot of money on the back of that. They, and and I, I will say, this is not going to, this is, may sound contradictory, but it's not to my earlier comment. Maybe in 2012, 2013, maybe it could have made sense. For me, it's just about timing. You must always be thinking about your product strategy in terms of timing. Maybe when, if Congo launched in 2012, want to be in five countries, yes. But as of 2014, 2015, it, it didn't make any more sense at that point. What are you expanding to? The Dreamia story, and this is a thread, the Dreamia story related to the Congo story was a much more compelling one. I'll tell you that. I've had people, just the, the bias of being Nigerian and just being, can be a negative nasty sometimes, right? So mm-hmm. you end up, I've had people who know I'm Nigerian or people I mean in other contexts, but like, oh my God, you're a tech person in Nigeria. Do you know about Jumia? It's the Amazon and PayPal of Africa. Ah, I'm like the same, <laughs> this is the same Jumia, Amazon of Africa and PayPal of Africa. You're the one that said, how many PayPals are there in USA? <laughs> we're talking about cheaper cash yeah. being PayPal. Yeah, yeah, so it's Amazon and PayPal. Right, and that's that a narrative. It's a compelling, easy one that led them to be part of the meme stock boom in 2020, right? Um, right, but that's not necessarily only because of geographical strategy. Maybe it's because they had a higher growth rate. Maybe it's because they had bigger numbers. Maybe it's because they're part of Rocket Internet, and Rocket Internet has a reputation of doing things a certain way, which we're not going to see on the pocket. So yeah, maybe there are other ah, reasons, see, right? That's see, not only see, attributable see. <laughs> over your chest. <laughs> no, but, no, no, but I'm saying your point is correct, but that may not be necessarily attributable just to geographical expansion, right? There may be other I, I actually, reasons. In this point, I agree. But in this point, I, in, gen- in abstract, I agree. In this point, I actually think the, the story is a different one. I'm building Conga for Nigeria and Conga Pay, and I'm building something for Africa. And these are investors, and there are many of them investing. We have been to Nigeria once, you know? Stayed at the Four Points. Yeah. Been to Nairobi once. You know, <laughs> stayed in the Westlands. Jam! You know, and then, and then, and then you know, they've been there two, three <laughs> times a year, and they do deals. It's not, I'm not making a judgment call on that business model at all. But it's more that mm-hmm. not having that context allows you to go back to your LPs, because you have to go to an investment committee. If you're a GP, you have to go to your... LPs and tell them this is where I've invested and why. Amazon of Nigeria 
it doesn't have the same ring as Amazon of Africa. <sighs> I, I can't wait. Okay, we, we should put a pin in this and come back to it later. <clears throat> the fact you won't say Amazon, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but for later, Amazon and PayPal of Africa. With respect. Okay, so where, where are we now? We are on <laughs> one competition, I think, right? Yes. So we went off on a crazy yes. tangent. Okay. So at the time they had they had competition from Jumia. It was yes, it was uh, Uber and Lyft. It was yes, all the way down. Dada. It was it was aggressive competition of people having yes, which is what ha- what would happen um in Nigerian banks where they had they would have like they still do actually. If you go to an Nigerian small business, you see like six different POS devices from all the banks because <laughs> of the weird business models it's there. Funny. Anyway, so that competition, yeah. and the competition with Jumia was very aggressive. They went to court a marketing lot, campaigns, billboards, marketing against each other. My favorite one was when they accused when Conga accused Jumia of registering Conga domain names in all the African countries they were. Oh running. yeah, that's not cool. That's not cool. So apparently, cool. Jumia went to register Conga.cm for the Cameroon, Conga.cd for Cote d'Ivoire, Conga.ly for Libya, cool. Conga.mu for Mauritius, Morocco. Malawi, Seychelles, Saint Helena, wow, Kenya, South Africa, Juma re- registered cool. everything. And I go ahead. Sorry. No, I say. Do we know how the story turns out? If I go on it now, did they return the? No, domains? I think the domains don't don't work. So and Jumia then went. Conga then went and registered ju, jumai.ng or jumai.com. Oh my lord! Jumai.com.ng to redirect to Conga. So there was just a lot of beef and. Sim gave a lot of interviews saying about like protect, protecting local um, companies and rocket Good internet strategy. and Jumia is not even African at all. Those were like strong Sim quotes. Oh, oh, they're not African. Are they German? Oh, wow. I, I just learned something new today. Well, they don't piss me off. Um, <laughs> talk about people we don't normally talk about. <laughs> You're not supposed to talk. <laughs> the most famous lie on affability. Um, mm. Anyways, so anyway. the, they, they had an aggressive competition with Jumia. I will say that that in retrospect, with hindsight, is they were just wasting time on each other, right? Mm-hmm. The the real thing mm-hmm. was this informal markets or apathy, right. a bias, and nothing to do. Yes, it's almost like correct. There was no issue with each other. They they it wasn't even an Uber or Lyft business. It, it, it was more there's the pie that was being served by apathy or or yes. informal retail was so big. The focus on each other was a. Uh, is a waste of time. Let them have the domain yes. name. You just get more customers. Like let them have the domain name. You just convert more people in this region to shopping online. Yeah. And that was like a big, a big thing. I think they focused a lot. We, we said a lot. They focused a lot. We said a lot on affordability. Yeah. Yeah. Like number one competition. You always think it's another company, but it's like we always say status quo, aka apathy. And in this case, just like offline retail open box stores. That's yeah. like the number one thing by far. Because yeah. post context with the audience, in case you're not from. Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa or developing country, those offline stores, they sell everything. It's not like there's some specialized part of the market. You can get candy, you can get food, you can get snacks, you can get underwear, you can get shirts. It's not like there's, they sell some specialized niche thing. No, they sell every I different don't know market what I would, segment. I don't know, they what's sell, a chemist? They, they sell medicine as well. You know how like you have yes, this chemist? Unfortunately. Like, what's well, a chemist? You probably shouldn't buy it. What's a there, US equivalent no of that? They literally have everything. They have groceries. They have everything. They have t-shirts. They have, everything. They have clothes. Yes, everything. Yeah, yeah, they even have like, they can even do tailor services. Like they can help you mend your stuff. They have people for your shoes, cobblers. They have everything. They have snacks. Their merchandising food, is gifts. legendary actually. Because how do you yeah. stock, know then, what to stock that moves? That, and it's a small store, so shelf space is premium. 
Right. Wow. And then after the it's mobile brilliant. revolution, they started to sell SIM cards, scratch cards, yeah. they even started to sell cell Airtime. phones. Although you should, yeah, although you should probably go to some specialized places for electronic things, but they have a lot of things. So it's not like, oh, there's some niche part of the market they can serve. No, the market is very, very well served. Now, mm. of course, because of traffic and because those environments aren't the most attractive, it's not a they, you can say, experience. oh, Exactly. You can say there's some 0.001% who want something else, but not a lot of people had massive issues with the current market and status quo. So Yeah, that 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 part is is probably in the competition piece. My takeaway from here is I looking refreshing my memory, I think because I lived through part of it. Uh but also looking at some of the the conversations at the time and the public pronouncements from both sides, by the way, they spent way too much time on each other. It's almost like irrelevant. Like, guys, we're not mm. against each other. I guess the, the, the quote that comes to mind is a Helium Health CEO. He keeps talking about, look, I don't care if another person wants to build this, um, what's it called? Healthcare data thing. It's like, yes. there's so, the market is so big. Like, mm. there's, there's no, somebody else, somebody needs to come and do this work with us. Obviously, he says that. Right. But I do yes, believe him. That's right? what they all say. Yeah. 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 You talk about uh, uh, EHR, right? Or EHR, PHR, EHR, uh, EHR. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Electronic EHR, EMR. Yeah. Yes. Medical records. Yes. It's like a big, like you You just have to look at it as, look, I don't, I mean, there should be another EHR, but the market is so big, you can probably absorb yeah. two or three EHRs. Yeah. If e-commerce the works, e-commerce it shouldn't matter so if it's weird too. to me because like, it, we have examples where it sort of works in other developing countries. We have co- other examples where it hasn't yet worked. Like the India Flipkart example is, let's not go too far off topic, but the numbers haven't been very pretty at all. And then, but then Amazon India, Amazon went into India and Amazon, they've been hustling for eight, nine, 10 years. Yeah. They're still in the early innings. But then we have like Mercado Libre, who's doing something bigger. It's just, it's, it's Zalando, hard market. niche retail. Yeah, exactly, right. Very difficult thing to win in the developing markets. I think one key thing I've learned from all the examples is it just takes a while. There is no quick e-commerce win in developing countries. Even the, the successful examples took more than 10 years, to be honest. And it depends on how you define success. I guess that's why you come back to saying maybe it's Nigeria, because let's say Jumia, Conga was 2012. Um, mm-hmm. The Naira crisis was 2015, 2016, right? Yes. And that's yep. probably last time they raised. From yes, that was the last time they raised. Yeah, so it was. Right. They gave them let's call it five years ish, four five years, mm-hmm. and that's seen enough. And I think Nigeria lets you know that we can't get out of this, and they were like, "Peace out," which is what we'll talk about next. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. So to quickly wrap on the competition piece, so uh, offline apathy, that stuff, direct com- competitors, Jumia, a little bit of indirect competitors yeah. with GGOLX, but you know. Very, very small. And niche retail and websites. There was buy common things. There was stuff exactly. for moms. But honestly. Yes. It's, it's just offline open markets. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want to talk about international expansion and how they grew across Africa? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we should spend a lot of time Do on it. that. Um, Do it. There was none. That was it. That was it. <laughs> just Nigeria. They were Nigeria very focused the on the market. And I think a lot of people came out and said, we talked about this. We won't belabor this point. About, oh, they should have done that. Maybe they might have survived. Or died quicker. They, they survived. They survived. They're still alive. What are we yeah. talking about? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. Because- if you go to conga.com today, you will find a website. Okay. So I'm going to talk about Conga. Uh, okay. First, let me do two things. I'm going to talk about Conga's business lines over time. Okay. And then I'll talk about Conga's declining fortunes. And then I'll talk about their eventual sales. So I'll do it in three different pieces. So their business lines over time. This will be a very, very short because we've covered 90% of it. Their core business, first mm-hmm. party, third party, first party sales, third party marketplaces, which bank mm-hmm. I spoke about. Conga Pay, we spoke about yeah. key thing for them. I will note that in the initial marketing rhetoric, yeah. Conga Pay seemed to be a massive 
they thought it was going to be extremely big and yeah. a big revenue driver. If you look at what, the way they talk about it now, it's clear it's just a side carve out and not exactly crucial to the revenue. So it didn't exactly turn out the way they wanted to do it. Now, they also have Conga Food. So they have food delivery, which started 2022 May. Very yeah. odd. Um, I was very intrigued by, by this because Jumia has always had food delivery. Um, Jumia Food, uh, and they've had food delivery maybe eight, nine years. We know you can get food from Gokada. You can get food from Chow Deck. Bolts mm-hmm. has food delivery. Cough, cough, future affability episode, Bolts. But I thought it was interesting that they started that business line as Bolt, well. Bolt, 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 the mobility provider, not Bolt, the checkout oh, the thing in the US. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not this is Africa Tech. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is Bolt, uh, for formerly uh, Taxify. Yeah, Taxify Bolt, so, not Bolt Ryan Breslow. Be- no. Yes. Any thoughts on the food delivery or you want me to keep going? No, I, I, I find thought it was it, very odd. Yeah, but I don't know. I It's a privately held subsidiary of a privately held company now. So mm. right now, everybody's just talking. Is it, you know how like privately held companies have, at least they have um, VC investors who tell the truth. Okay, mm. they will forget that they tell the truth. <laughs> um, or, they'll, or they'll do something that tells you what they really think. They will reveal by their actions, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yes. oh, we decline to participate in the follow-on round because we believe in the Cough. future of the company. Like, mm, no, you don't. That's not how it works, buddy. Um, but they're a privately held subsidiary of a company, so it's very difficult mm. to say um, how they're doing or not. So I, I, I'm very curious to see how it turns out. I'm just glad that when I go to Nigeria in August, shout out to my people in Lagos. I'm going to see you all in a month. I have more options to order food. How it actually turns out, I don't know, but I, uh, I'm I'm not super optimistic is all I'll say, but I played with the app uh, three days ago. Not bad actually. A lot of inventory looked food, like a, right? looked like I didn't yeah looked like a wide selection of food, different types of restaurants, good filtering options. Mm-hmm. I wish I could actually order it to see the, the timeline, but making, I mean making, I'm not yet in Lagos, so I could use it. For Nigerian food. Okay, and, and then last but not least, tiny piece of the business, Conga Health. You can use it to order medical supplies. A bit strange. It has its own dedicated app, has its own dedicated piece on the website. But I thought, you know, why not try different ways to make money? Overall, honestly, it's just Conga Pay and it's just Conga e-commerce. The rest of these things are onesie, twosie, small pieces. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's it's. We'll see, basically. And I, I only okay. tell. I only tell is customer adoption. When people start right. asking me about it, people start using it, and 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 I go talk in in, in places in Lagos, and people start telling me, "Oh, have you heard about?" And that's when I my ears usually perk up. Nobody's brought yes. it up to me yet. Right. So <laughs> this is the part of the podcast where I normally talk about the user experience and the UX and the attractiveness it's level. Fine. This one is short. Yeah, the app is just it's fine. T- typical ugly e-commerce app, right? So it's not the ugliest. It's not like Gigi, which is hideous. It's not like Telcom South Africa website, which is super ugly. It's just like regular ugly. I wouldn't use it. Wow. I can't. I don't really like it. They, like, but you know, it, it, your it is mouth what it is. no I, soft at all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, talk ahead. about what 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 it's a, who they don't normally talk about. No, this was a talk um, about them. No, there's not the people that yeah. don't. So um, yeah, UX is just fine. Whatever. Um, I used the website several years ago, and I'll say. The way they communicate with user in terms of tracking yeah. your order delivery, excellent. Actual attractiveness level, um, just standard ugly. I wouldn't go, go out of my way to use it. Okay. Conga's declining fortunes, unfortunately. Okay. So from 2015, here's a summary up front. Mm-hmm. From 2015 to 2018, Conga seemed to experience a lot of declining fortunes. And we have a lot of um, data points. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's start. 2016, January, they laid off 10% of Lay their off. staff. So about hot, hot. 80 people. I know, unfortunately. And by the way, they just raised money um, eight months before. So clear, things declined really, really quickly. The Naira um, now. And here, here's the, the Naira. Yeah, the Naira, unfortunately. So here, here's what they said. Quote, 
With this restructuring and by taking advantage of new innovations and upcoming retail opportunities in the market space, we are optimistic, wow, okay, that we're on the path to growing at an even healthier, more sustainable business. The decision to restructure and align with our company's focus is to be more agile in the mm. prevailing local economic conditions is one that we are not taking lightly. So yeah. clear those some macro headwinds with the recession and the inflation and the devaluation, all that stuff going on. Okay, it gets even worse. 2016 February, so Sim Shagai resigned as CEO yeah. after he met with some international investors. So I guess presumably the numbers weren't that good, didn't meet investor expectations, and unfortunately he resigned. Now, he, he stayed on as chairman of the board, which would sound like a promotion, but if you're familiar with like corporate board structure, it's not. It's basically just like, it's a holding pattern type of position and you don't really have um, yeah. management responsibility. So that happened. Um, any thoughts or you want me to just keep No, I, I, I find that in quick succession, it, it, when you see something like that happen, like when he steps down, it's been in talks for a while. Like definitely oh, of wasn't course. conversation for a while, even by the oh, fundraising, right? So yeah, because they, they track it, right? You yeah. have milestones. Talk about the milestones where you don't, you just keep yeah. going. It's just, these things are never a surprise. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't very surprised about it. Like it was going to happen after the layoffs, I think. Yeah. So uh, Shola Adekoya, who was the <laughs> former COO, yeah. took over as interim CEO. Um, and, okay. So quick segue on Shola. So education, studied business studies in London South Bank University, MBA from Cranfield University, um, mm -hmm. chartered, uh, chartered accountants. Worked at Vodafone groups in eight different countries mm -hmm. in Europe. Worked as a finance business partner, yada, yada, yada. He worked as the CFO at Conga for a while before he became the COO. Yeah. So the context, I think, just think about him as a, like a finance slash business guy, not a products engineering guy. So he took, over, he took over as the interim CEO. Okay, two odd things about this same time period. Jimmy was raising money left, right, and center. They were the ah. first Africa's unicorn. Um, they... The market sentiment around Jumia seemed to be way more positive. Again, the audience, this is early 2016, right? The market sentiment around Jumia seems to be way more positive, which means two things. Either they had diverging numbers, right? That's the easiest assumption. Jumia's numbers were better, yada, yada. Or, or Jumia just had ability to raise more money, even if their numbers were not also not so good. So I don't know, Bank, if you yeah. had any thoughts yeah. on the, the different The other thing options. is also Kinevik was um, an investor in Conga directly. And in Jumia via Rocket. So Kinevik would have at least had been on both boards directly or indirectly, had some mm. visibility about how they were both mm. performing. And mm -hmm. at this time, there were also uh, one, one thing we didn't get to a lot. I'll post an article in the show notes about the Conga's uh, declining fortunes and their valuations because of Kinevik's public reporting. So Kinevik yes. had a bunch of public reporting about their valuation and different pieces, right? Um, yes. So it's in, in some ways, it's like, I. I don't remember why, but I think it was validated because it's like, man, those guys know. And if you're making all this restructuring in one place and not the other, then very clearly one is not working as well as the other. Mm. That was kind of like, that was my yeah. read. I think your, your read makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so fast forward in the story, 2016 March. So another month later, Shalal was now confirmed as a permanent CEO. So previously he was the interim CEO, which is quite odd. He was confirmed as the full permanent CEO only a month after it was interim. Yeah. Weird. Okay, let's not read too much into that. 2016 July, a few months later, they laid off a bunch of people. And here's what Shola said about the layoff. This restructuring also entails a workforce reduction and is a prudent and necessary step for the long-term success of the company. The reorg will uh, affect our business model and will try to focus only on the products that customers really like with high throughput in our warehouse. Yada, yada, yada. Conga will optimize his warehouse. Yada, yada. Okay, the rest of it is not super critical. And then 2017 December... 
So a year later, they laid off 60% of their staff, mm-hmm. which is 300 people. So we can't get all the math because sometimes they give us more information. Sometimes they give us less information. But it's safe to assume between 70 and 85% of their employees were gone within a year. So clearly declining fortunes. Like there's no way to sugarcoat it. Um, because I, I saw some different analysis that kept on saying, oh, maybe uh, the losses weren't so bad. Maybe they sold for a high amount. But it, all the data points to if you fire... Um, if you let go between 75% of your company, the company is definitely not doing well. Okay, fast forward, fast forward. Finally, D-Day, 2018 February. Conga, six years after they found in 2012, they had a sale to a Xenox group, a Z-I-N-O-X or Z-I-N-O-X if for our Canadian friends. Um, so probably a massive loss for Shinovig and Naspers. We saw different estimates. Some said um, the valuation at its peak was between 300 and 500. The valuation during the sale, so four years after the peak, was between 10 and 230. I'd probably think it's closer to the 10 than the 230, um, just because like 85% reduction of staff. Hard, hard to believe it still has that much value, but we don't know the actual numbers, but fair to say, not so good. So I have some quotes the during the, the sale, but before I get into the quotes, any thoughts? The other thing about 230 is you got to syndicate that money somewhere. You know, like, you got to syndicate that money somewhere. So maybe if you know, maybe people know. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know, but <laughs> right. the streets were uh, the streets weren't talking about any two thirty million being syndicated anyway. No, no, there's there's no two thirty. It was way closer to the ten, and I mean, we have the data of the people they reduce, right? It, it's like if you were only losing, if at the max valuation was three hundred to five hundred, and they sold for two thirty, that implies a loss of value of twenty five percent. But with eighty percent fewer people, no, I mm, I guess I guess my my I, I don't know. my point of view about the two you're talking about the business value. My point about the two thirty is yes. that like. It's it's a, it's a, seems to me a sufficiently large number that there will be more people right. to come forward to corroborate it because a lot of people would have had to be involved to raise that kind of money in an African market. That's exactly except what I'm except it's only uh, Nasper's and Shinovic. So I mean, big no, boys no, no, don't no. need to talk. No, the people that paid them now, Sinox <laughs> Group. The people that paid them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Except, oh man, we could get into all sorts of stuff. It depends on the way they structured it. If they structured it with a new ownership stake, then there's no payment, right? They just own part of Xenex yeah, Group now. Yeah. So it's just like an equity swap. Yeah, so maybe, so maybe exactly my point. on the structure. No. When people say 10 yeah. or 2, they're talking about basically, you know what, let's not even get into that. There was yes, I know, amount. it's like... The people that yes. did the meeting, they know the amount no, they paid. No. <laughs> God bless them. Yeah. Okay, and then here's what Nasper said about the sale. So another quote. Man, this episode is so heavy on quotes, but it's very important for the audience. So this is not for me. This is from Nasper's quote. In the case of Conga, regrettably, and despite various restructuring initiatives, the business has not reached the scale and level of profitability required to fund itself as it currently stands, now or in the medium term. Further finding from NASPERS indicate it would not meet our own target return requirements, and we subsequently began discussions to divest Conga to Xenix. So, unfortunately, not a good this outcome. This was 2018 February to the day yes. when they closed OLX in Niger, yes. in Niger as well. There were no, <laughs> NASPERS was done really. NASPERS was done with you guys. <laughs> Naspers had like two work streams, one VP just dealing with like, hey, get us out of Nigeria. You have exactly 24 hours type thing. Uh, I don't know, mm. I'm making that up. But I, I, it was a sense that, that there was like a three to six month period where it was Naspers divestments, Naspers divestments, Naspers divestment. And and now they're pretty much mostly, um, mostly out of the country. Oh, yeah. They have very, very few investments outside of it. In fact... It's fair to say, in terms of Africa, Nasper's has 90, 99% of his investments just in South Africa. It's a, Somebody would say 100%, but it depends on how you count was, it. was a rationalization of Nasper's portfolio in Africa, I would say. That's how I would yes, think about it. Yes. And Conga was just one of those 
along with OLX was one at of the time. Yeah, because those were their big plays. There. Okay, so let me summarize. That was a lot of information. So Conga launched 2012, middle mm-hmm. of 2012. From 2012 to 2015, they seemed to be experiencing some growth, some hype. Based on all the growth and hype, they raised a lot of money from two key players, mm-hmm. Genevieve and Aspers. It looked like their max valuation was 300 to 500 million, mm-hmm. which means they were making some progress. However, 2015 to 2018 was basically the opposite. Declining growth, declining revenues. They let go between 70, 85% of their staff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they had a distressed sale in the middle of 2018. And that's the summary of the story. So moving forward, as soon as the deal closed, a month later, Shola stepped down. I guess yeah. the new management wanted their own people. So Shola contacts, again, this is the CEO that took over from Sim. And then 2018, April, things are going very quickly, two months yeah. after the sale. Uh, they merge, Zenix merged their offline retail stores, Udala, with Conga, which now means Conga has a strong offline store component. Yeah. 31 physical stores and superstores now across Nigeria called Conga. I don't know. And if you to see like, a lot of physical stores. Hey, what's wrong with that? I don't know what to make isn't, of it. Isn't that what Amazon did up until two months ago when it closed on our physical stores? You got a bunch of physical uh, stores, uh, got a bunch of online retail. They are collection points, they are return points. I don't know if they are return points. I know they are collection points. What, right. what do you mean? You don't know how you feel about it. That's a. It, it just strikes me as um, if the strategy was as Conga, because of where we are in our story, we mm-hmm. feel like we need physical stores for X, Y, Z reason, and let's build them out with this strategy, this location. Yeah. But if it's just a bolt-on, oh, we have this physical thing, we bought this online thing, let's put them together. Bolt-on stuff almost always ends very badly. I'm always worried about it because they didn't have the same intentionality about thinking from the scratch. It was just they had them, they combined them. It's very, very different than you and I, Bankoli, saying... Maybe, we need physical maybe stores. they bought them first, to combine them. How's that? That's, I mean, that's like, why else would you buy Conga? Maybe they bought them to combine them. Because they're like, oh, we have this offline thing. I, I never re- I'd heard of Udala, but never really heard of it. It wasn't like top of mind. But now the stores are called Conga. Incredible big signage in a bunch of places, good locations. They're actually nationwide. They have stuff in Enugu and stuff like that. Big Conga oh. physical stores, offline mm-hmm. stores. It helps with returns, helps reinforce the online brand. So you know, in theory, if you want to shop, you have an issue, you can go to the physical store and pick it up. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about delivery or logistics. So I hope, so it says it's a collection point. So I can basically go to Conga, order online, pick up at the Conga store when I'm driving past it. Yeah. That's like a big, that's, that seems to me from a pure, <laughs> from a pure, t- taking a step back, B school mm-hmm. strategy in the abstract blue sky whiteboard, you know, where, you know how right. like web businesses are won and lost on the whiteboard. <laughs> it looks it looks good on the whiteboard, right? Does it look good though? I think so. The only thing worse than having infrastructure risk, let's just say albatross around your neck, is having another albatross around your neck. This just sounds like more of the same shit. Or a moat. Oh, the only e-commerce player with actually physical. Yes, or a moat. Yes, yes. Take a lot built a bunch assets. of those. Take a lot built a bunch of those. Yeah. Remember that they had the word cool thing? I mean, I'll find yes. it. I can post it where they had the cool. Um, yes. Where you can watch your packages go through stuff, and it's like a tube, and it had a whole yes, thing. yes, yes. It was like a like also like a customer marketing yeah, experience. So. But the difference is what I said before is the intentionality to do it. You, you're you're prescri- you're doing you're doing what typical smart people do. You're prescribing your Thank own you intelligence and intentionality. I'll of this. take it. Like, are, are you really telling me they thought about oh, we have all these stores in this location, and then let's get this asset and let's go? I don't know because if you read when they made the announcement, they even announced they weren't going to combine it. It's what they changed their mind a month later. So I don't know if the data points um, match what you're saying. Anyway, we're getting we're getting lost in yeah. all the details. Some more information about Udala, we should talk so the audience will know. Launched in 2015, so actually quite new. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had 21 stores across 10 Nigerian cities, and the stores were quite dispersed around the country. Um, and they thought, well, this is this is what what, what they said. 
they thought it would be a complementary asset to the current Conga yeah. uh, investment. But that's what that's what they, that's what I would say too. We'll see. So that is they also launched the story. they also launched Conga Travel as well. I couldn't find. I'm like, all right, let's go. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of their metrics over time, and then I'll pass it back to Bankoy. Very difficult to find a lot of information on their metrics, but I'll start with the POD one because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Again, POD, payments on delivery. Um, and you can pay with cash or you can pay with the POS. 2012, yeah. what percent of their sales were from POD, Bankoy? Oh, like 60, 70, I would say. 90 to 90, 95%. Yeah. Can you believe that? Almost everything POD. 2014, what percent of POD, if you had to guess? 50, 60? 70 to 85%. Ah. So basically, extremely high throughout their history. And we forgot to mention this earlier. One of the things Shola did is they canceled payment on delivery in 2017, December. So yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't tried it today, but I don't know if they reinstated it afterwards. But let's just assume they haven't. And the reason they said was POD has been canceled because the cost of inflation and increasing challenges of management of managing yeah. POD especially because of the large order of cancellations due to that result in the cancellation. So it looked like even though it was a massive part of the mm-hmm. revenue for most of the histories, they just thought it wasn't worth the costs. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's stats we have on POD. Stats we have on users, not a lot. 2016, they had about 184,000. So thanks, terribly thanks low. Thanks to Kinevix uh, on our report. Yeah. Everybody was alarmed uh, yeah, exactly. by that. I was like, what? Oh, this and, ads. and for the audience, oh, right. I say this on every... <laughs> I say this on every episode. This is not 30-day use. This is not mal. This is overall registrations, which means the actual number of users, like actual 30-day actives, 7-day actives, is some fra- maybe five, six, seven thousand. Again, they're doing the bamboozling, right? Because if you think about it, the company launched in 2012, right? So if you registered in 2012, December, they would count you the 184,000, even though you haven't used it for four years. They probably count me. And I've, I left the freaking country. So the number is way worse than this. Every time I do stats and I look at like registered users versus 30-day actives, in fact, the delta between 30-day actives and seven-day actives is so large. Imagine the def- delta between 30-day actives and registered users. Mm. It's it's probably single-digit thousands of users, mm. unfortunately. And they were, Quite horrible. And they were spending money on ads. But you know what's funny is I was, I don't remember if I ever personally bought anything Purchasing. online of Conga mm. or Jumia. Ah, okay. Maybe once or twice I in did. my entire life. But have you done it more five times? Uh, if you count Jumia food, dozens. But if you just no. count Jumia, probably yeah, five. retail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I haven't, yeah. definitely haven't done up to five. Anyways, so they launched a yeah. bunch of stuff as well. Uh, well, go, go ahead about the numbers. Uh, y- yes, so that's all, all the data we have. Unfortunately, we don't have, I don't, unless you have, I don't have more recent information on users or growth. It's basically the POD and that initial uh, 184K number. There's a piece in Forbes with the new CEO, um, Forbes Africa, which is, yeah, uh, th- where they, they you know, it's, it definitely reads a bit like a puff piece, but it was like, oh, oh yes. valuation is over $2 billion now. Oh, right. They've invested $120 <laughs> I thought we, I thought million. I thought we were not going to talk about over. that. 180% growth. Ah, in GMV. Uh, we shouldn't even talk about that on the podcast. Two billion, please. Like don't, M- maybe take some zeros out of that. Don't, don't, like <laughs> just, just off your mic. Um, no. It's just, it's just, I don't understand. How, how, how does it work? How can they be worth two billion when... Jumia, I'm so glad we have a public company, right? Jumia is whatever, 600 million. 600 and the last million time, with 420 yes. million of cash, burning 220 million a year. How? So, so, so how, how, how does it work when they're in way fewer countries... The, I mean, the two billion is so far off; it's not even within the realms of reality. But I, I like the marketing and I like the hype, but complete hundred percent bullshit. Anyways, that's good for them. But but yeah, but they've they've definitely fallen off. 2012, 2013, these were one of the most 
like fourth or third and fourth most traffic website in Nigeria by miles. Correct. On, from Alexa rankings. Miles. There have been some improvements. If you look at these guys, the recent owners, they've improved their Alexa ranking a lot. Um, eh, we'll see. Um, mm. But it's not because they're not um, public about these numbers, not, not should they be. And they don't necessarily have like VC investors. It's a privately held, privately held group. We are sort of, it becomes a big black box and we have to take that word for it. Right. I guess yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so curious one day when we eventually see the numbers to see where they are. I also thought, um, did you see the rumors that the holding company, Zinex, they're trying to buy Jumia? And like this company, their marketing is unbelievable. Like they just see whatever they want. They're like affability. So the ah, context no. is... Yeah, Jumia is cheap. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But the point is still... <laughs> Yeah. This is the funny thing. So there are rumors about ZX buying Jumia. And normally for the audience, whenever there are any rumors, every company always has the same thing, right? Someone from the comms team or PR team yeah. says, we don't, um, we don't comment on rumors. We don't comment on speculation. These guys actually said, oh yeah, it could be, it could, it's sort of true. <laughs> I was like, I love that. They're so real. So um, probably not going to happen, but I thought it was very amusing. Jumia, <laughs> Jumia is available now in case you, you have extra, extra money. It's not 600. <laughs> Oh, is it lower? Lower than 600 So I, I'm not sure how much debt they have, but they have 420 okay. million of cash. So oh, oh, yeah. You're, oh, you're, no, you're talking about the enterprise value. I'm talking about the market value. Yeah, enterprise, yeah, you have to net it out. That's what you, you pay. Yeah, out. that's what you pay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like, guy. So if you have 200 mil. If you have 200 mil. <laughs> first of all, we're not talking about the debt that they have as well. I'm not sure how much debt they have, but right. I don't think they have that much debt because they couldn't raise, which is why they went to equity in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, if you two, if you have for some friends together, you guys can... <laughs> SPV. Let's together and, and get some right, so, so, Get some junior. So we wrap it? You know, no, lessons from, from the story. Yeah, let's talk about like, so I, I, I struggled here on the lessons. Um, um, mm -hmm. So Sim left and Sim stepped away and uh, third or fourth act, Sim is fine, you know. Um, oh, yeah. This money, lesson, lesson is uh, going to be yeah. the bad Jews yes. of Africa, Loki. Yeah, I went by Jews wants to buy them. Let's just say we all knew it was coming. It was coming. <laughs> Sim is fine. Sim is building a new lesson. Mm -hmm. I think the path, share similar versus the bad Jews, it's like, yeah, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Right. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. The other part is what can other startups learn? I'm actually not sure there's, there's uh, much to learn, right? It's strange. Um, it seems yeah, very idiosyncratic. I, I it's like I a time and space thing, but there's yeah, nothing. I, I thought I would have a lot of notes. I literally only have one point. You, you'll see after you're done. Yeah. I thought it'd be a lot. I thought it'd be a lot. There's only one thing I could take away. The, the, yeah. And at the time, smart people said, "Oh, um, Jumia had this entire narrative, international story, and and different investors, so they raised money. Jumia was smarter, international, like, all those things. Smarter. <laughs> I mean, Jumia <laughs> I right now is a six forty <laughs> million, six hundred million market cap company with four twenty of that in right. cash." The company itself right. is not valued a lot, honestly. Right. Trailing, trailing 12 months cash flow is negative to 20 million, which means- Standard. Which means they have two years of runway, 18 months of runway left on that 400 million. God knows they can't raise again. God knows recession right. is here, so nobody's like right. giving equity to African- you just, you just issue more shares and dilute yourself, standard. So you can raise indefinitely. To who now? Uh, you just, don't, this is, do you want to go off topic or you want to stay on topic? Uh, this is a corporate uh, treasury. So, the, can, that, do, so that 200 million equity question should become, anyways, that's okay. You issue more. <laughs> Those are their options, which are not great. Okay. So it's, it's mm -hmm. strange to see that there's not, like Dreamy and Conga kind of, in some ways, end up in a similar place. And let's say even that Conga is much more lean now because right. they sort of right. have an offline business, an online business. So, and we know what those economics are. That may even be in a better position, right? 
um, right. than these guys. So I, I don't know that there's stuff idiosyncratic. There is, there is, um, on the learning is like a market specific about like apathy as a competition. I think that's probably the biggest thing. I think they spend too much time mm. on each other. Um, mm. Those were my, those are my learnings before we get into like blitzscaling, but I want to hear what you think. Yeah, I, when I was thinking about this part of the podcast, I thought I'll have so many different learnings under this circle, but it turns out almost everything I thought was just hindsight bias because I knew how it turned out. I thought they should have done this. That's literally the definition because I knew. So I tried to think just like first principles. If I didn't know what happened, how would I have thought about it? And the only slight thing, which I'll say is a little bit of a lesson is, um, first of all, there are a lot of positive lessons from Conga. Be bold, try something new, try to make sure you raise money from people that you can trust. Try to make sure you're early. They were one of the earliest. And then num- number three, just think big. When I saw some of the things we were doing, Conquer Pay was like seven years ahead of ahead its of time. time. Before the, Pay uh, Stack. For, 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 before about pay, the same time. Yeah. If I, if for fulfillment by, by, um, by Conga, one of the first of its yeah. time. The warehouse strategy ended up being a bit expensive, one of the first. So they went bold. And what, what else do you want from entrepreneurs? That's the whole point of venture. Yeah. Go bold and go, go big. The only slight lesson I would say is, I don't know if the ROI on some of their ATL above the line marketing was worth it in the long term. That's the only thing I would say. Yeah. I know I know some would say, oh, why not? The whole definition of going big is always to do mark, uh, marketing advertising. Not necessarily. Yeah. If you have a lot of money, you can invest in it in different places. It just seemed, maybe hindsight bias again, it just seemed like when I go and I see Kuda Bank ads, I'm like, well, is that gonna make someone sign up for Kuda Bank? I don't know, is that worth the investment? So that's a different company, obviously. I just, Maybe because I'm a, I used to be an engineer, I'm a product person. I think a lot of people believe too much in above the line marketing and advertising. And I don't think it works as well as a lot of people think, yeah. especially if your core consumer is not going to be making reactions by looking at the billboard. There's some things where by definition, it's like a marketing play. Um, but there's some things where I don't think the ROI is as high as a lot of people think. That's the only thing I would take away from it. Interesting. The other thing is around um, blitz scaling. And then we talk yes. about that a lot. And they're, they're both companies yeah. in this space, like spend a lot of money, try to go quickly on that marketing and stuff. And it's like, yeah, they, they clearly hadn't figured out the model. It was like some kind of premature scaling. And it's not a For judgment sure. on going big or going fast. I think we're on the same page. I think maybe it's like, oh, it should have been more measured. I think no. So if going big or gone, gone big or gone fast, it's more like you need to have the right model first and then go big. At least I'm setting around it. And to be fair, they thought they had setting around it. They had crazy numbers. And like... The quote from the Black Friday sale when the servers crashed and mm. 2x and 6x and, you know, one month after they, they did everything in an hour than they did the previous month. And it was just crazy numbers. And it makes mm-hmm. me, you know, reflective about the Africa tech ecosystem because everybody was convinced that these ones are going to go first. And the people who make money, they are going to step out and do a bunch of other things. Like Konga and Jumia mm-hmm. were going to be certain. Like there was going to be, the question of what would the gap, it was basically an Uber Lyft argument. I don't think anybody thought one or the other would meaningfully go bankrupt. It was like, oh, one would win so much that the other would just be a shell. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what they were fighting for. But now they're not as relevant if you talk about Africa tech companies right. outside of meme stocks and, outside well. of meme stocks and, and Jumia, right? And people are asking about Definitely Africa tech, nobody talks about Jumia outside of the meme stock mania in 2020. Right. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost that um, not only are you correct that they're not relevant, the trend line, and I'm glad you, you have that great segue, the yeah. trend line almost even talks that that's going to continue. So 
Yeah. Facebook Marketplace is coming to cut the classifieds part of the market. Yeah. I guess you saw the rumors that Amazon is about to launch yeah. next year. So basically, for the classifieds, aka third-party marketplace side of it, they have crazy company that doesn't care that much about revenue. They also have Gigi, yeah. which, by the way, Gigi has been <laughs> doing this marketplace thing for ten years as well, and they have some revenues. All their their costs are super low. Yeah. They have Amazon coming in. I don't think the fortunes are going to improve for either Conga or Jumia anytime soon. So it's going to get even worse. If you think they're not so relevant now, I, I'm very curious to see how they turn things around because Facebook plus Amazon plus GG, those are very different competitors with different models coming yeah. in at it from different angles. Not a very pretty business to be in. I wouldn't invest a dollar of my own money in this. Separate sector. question. Do you think online retail works in Nigeria at all? Just online retail. Like are people ever going to buy things online in meaningful numbers? Um, it, it's a great question. It's like a typical tech question. With any time horizon, with a long enough time horizon, the answer is always yes. But if if I reframe your question to in the next three years, do I think the fortunes of Kong and Jumia are going to materially improve? I would say no in three years. Let, let, Maybe 10 years. Let me ask the different let me ask a question differently. Online retail will continue to grow. That's a fact. But the question is the question is, will it grow like China? So in China, I saw a stat that, and I'll pull this in the show notes half 55 percent of all retail is online so between pdd oh my alibaba it's just pure online in the u.s that's 12 mm. and parts of western europe is 22 and yes and in china is 52 uh south korea 29 uk 28 wow right so it's yeah. fairly high and let's say it's, let's call it for the sake of argument let's call it under one percent in africa which is probably being generous right extremely under one percent. yeah extremely under one percent yes. right so do you think at scale it looks like in a, over a 10-year horizon. I don't, three years, is, yeah. nothing's happening in three years, right? Because it's difficult for us to, <laughs> to fathom that. Over a 10-year horizon, yeah. you think it looks more like a trend line towards a much more higher e-commerce penetration, say like China, right? Or much more like the US or as far as numbers, not as a market. Oh yeah, I definitely wouldn't say the 50-something China, maybe 10-ish, like the 10 India. Even five. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, five, 10, but then, if we say that range, it means not that many big businesses can be built here, um, which, which then means your business probably needs to make some orthogonal revenue by doing something related. It's interesting. I mean, Gigi's just in, Gigi's in a great position. Number one, they're already used to suffering. <laughs> what the? the? The honest, honest truth. Number two, they've been in the market the longest. And, super and then number cost. three, they have the lowest cost basis. Super low cost. The, the, yeah. the other, other, they're in a better position than Conga for sure with yeah. all their physical stores Jeez. what I'm trying to get out of you and what I think you're saying in, in very few words is you don't think online retail is a big op market opportunity over a 10 year time frame in, in Nigeria which is fair That that's like I said I wouldn't invest a dime in it for, for, for sure interesting you know? But why you is that You have though? Facebook and Amazon okay. coming in. So is the competition. What kind of local player? Are you going to compete against both of them? Are you, what kind of entrepreneur says, I want to simultaneously compete no. against Amazon and no, Facebook? No, I guess that's a different thing. I would maybe, run for Maybe that's a different thing. I guess I'm, how much of the retail will be online? Maybe let's, let's reframe this conversation. Do you think more people will shop online or significant more people will shop online in Nigeria today than in, in 10 years? What do you think that number would look like in 10 years? I think that's maybe the Oh, thing. yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be bigger. But it's what I said at the beginning of, of the podcast. Because I think about it from an investor lens, there's so many other places to put your money with high, high ROI. Why would I put it so in So even if you know you e can't make money from it, even if you know that the, direct, the, the, the direction of progress, the arrow of progress goes it's, in that direction, you don't think there's money to be... Like it's, the, the uncertainty is too, it, is too much to make any money from it. It's too much. There's too much competition. There's too much risk. It's dependent on logistics. It depends on transportation. Is it, No, no, no. I'm just... Like I said, thank God we say our biases at the top. I'm just so biased. I just find it such a... Even for speculative when, venture, when I think about you can't even Gigi. be speculative enough. Like, 
when I thought about Gigi yeah. and OLX and Jumi and Kong, we've done all these episodes now, it's just so difficult. All the warning signs keep on saying difficult, hard, yeah. risk, layoffs. So, so why, why would I all of a sudden be like, oh, it's all of a sudden going to yeah. be better? Maybe we should ask the, the CEO of, of Gigi how he's thinking about it. He's trying to reduce his cost. So they fired everyone in the Nigeria office. Gigi is run internationally. OLX, they tried to run it with no Nigeria staff and they still shut it down. Like, imagine how bad the business is. I don't know if you remember. I remember. Uh, for the audience who hasn't listened to our OLX episode, literally they said, there's no one in the office. So there's no one in OLX Nigeria. We're literally running it internationally. And they still shut it down. Like, the numbers were so bad, they couldn't run it with no staff. Like, it's, let me, I don't want to yeah. exaggerate, but let me, it must be a terrible business. Let me draw out some implications of what this, this line of argument is saying. It's saying there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. There's a lot of big 100-pound gorillas, 800-pound gorillas coming in the market, like Facebook, Amazon, whatever, with all these products that can yeah. still share WhatsApp, whatever, right? Yes. Oh, therefore, yeah, we didn't even talk about therefore, that. Therefore, what's left for domestic domestic companies, let's call Gonga Gmail domestic for the purpose of this argument, is going to be small or, or, or low margin in a way that online retail is a place that startups should please respectfully avoid. Hundred percent. And then, mm-hmm. if you can't avoid it, if you're already in it, maybe you try to do food delivery. <laughs> maybe you try to do. Maybe that's why they're doing well, all these you, things. You raise money from investors is, that are not on Lumi Day, basically. <laughs> yeah, count me, count me out. No way. Okay. I, I mean, I, I find, I found it unbelievable when our estimates of Gigi's revenue were like whatever, fifteen, twenty, thirty yeah. million after twelve and a half years. That is unbelievably bad yeah um but i I still wish them all all the best of luck um i think the beauty of entrepreneurship is it's always very difficult and you have to do it anyway if it's difficult but i i personally wouldn't wouldn't do it the dependency risk on the government stuff is an extra layer which makes it even harder and it's true and you 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 typically make money when you're not consensus and right right so if 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 people like if i'm saying if you're saying and i'm saying like oh it's not a good exactly and you do it you disagree you do it you you, the, the return tends to be higher because you can yes exchange high rate anyways um yeah so and, and ahead, we, can, we can we can finish that thread so if you want to do as an entrepreneur i would just encourage the person what new angle what new vector what is the different business model or co- do something different don't just say i'm going to do another first party like i'm going to do another third party marketplace what different angle innovation can i add to make my own value prop actually different otherwise um you may just end up with some of the same challenges if you think about it the same way hmm. Ah, Olympia, this is okay. This the mood at, so, as we're about to wrap is not positive. It is I mean, much more positive here. I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to spin a positive. They let go eighty percent of their staff, man. Like that's okay. It must. Okay. They, they went through a lot. This, but okay, this is not a happy podcast. Let's wrap. Um, yes. Okay, you want to go? Or you want me to go? I, I can go actually. So there's a couple of parts to my summary. One is Conga being uh, a, a a failure of storytelling. Is that just a controversial mm. perspective? Um, mm. Other just being startups, being crazy, how you can do everything right and not win. And the third is really about like Sim uh, mm. and basically the story story and journey of the founder. So Conga being like a failure in storytelling, I had this like a failure in ambition. I think that's true or fair because they had lots of ambition. Um, but the storytelling, like a, in my notes, I have like a hater, a cynic would say. Um, Jumia was hater. better at creating and selling a fundable IPO story than 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 Conga, because we can talk mm. about it in the sense of, oh, it was the right thing to build a business, and if you're building a business, you may want to fix the model and then expand the model that you fixed. But if you're building an, mm-hmm. an IPO, you definitely want to have an IPO story and build a business yes. in parallel or subsequently. Um, yes, especially if you have a B two C business. Exactly, and not that it was true, but it was believable. Like, it wasn't clear. I think geographic expansion hurt Jumia. Hence, they pulled back aggressively. Listen to our Jumia episode for the details for sure. of that. 
Like Jumia had so many expansions within the first two years of their life. It's insane to think about, right? They had Carmudi for cars, Ever Jobs, I remember. Hello Food, Jovago, yes. Kemu, yes. Lamudi, AIG Express. Oh and then gosh, in 2016, yes. they renamed everything to Jumia. So you basically, you're not just buying Jumia, you're buying Jumia Food, Jumia Travel. Yes, Jumia, the group. You're buying a group. You're buying Jumia Cars. It's just crazy, right? So they had this entire portfolio of things that they raised money on under Africa Internet Holders. Remember, so Jumia was a holding company of that. So they had a strong IPO story. So they expanded aggressive to everything. Now, how big were those individual businesses? With hindsight, tiny, tiny, tiny. A website and like a receptionist at this point, clearly. <laughs> um, but across geographies, they expanded in 23 African countries as well. Again, the story is compelling. We are investing in this company that has cars, jobs, food, travel, uh, retail, first party, third party in 23 African countries. And later on, payments, all called Jumia, all in this Africa internet holdings that's going to take over the world, backed by MTN. Come on. That tell me, like that's like somebody somebody that sounds pitches, sweet. Somebody pitches a pre-IPO deal to you like that, you're gonna be like, you're gonna be like, can I get in? Like, let me buy you lunch. Can I get I'd in? I'd say sh- sh- show me the numbers, show me the revenue. Can I get in? A lot of people be like, can I get in? And then you take it's a punt. And, and so are you encouraging are you encouraging people to to think more about storytelling than products. No, that's the opposite of no. normal bank calling. I'm, I'm not. I'm absolutely not doing that because. But you should know what game you're playing. I actually, I'm not making a moral judgment. I think. Oh, I'm not talking about morals. I'm just saying normally you would say X. Now you're saying Y. No, 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 no morals no, no, involved. No, I think Rocket was building a company to sell it to the public. Conga was building a company to sell to build e-commerce for customers. That's my intuition <laughs> from the outside in, and I think those are different things. And when I talk to founders, it's, it's important. I always say, like, you should be clear what you're doing. Now, you can do either. And you can make money doing either. But it's your company and it's your spending 20 hours every day on this. Like, investors will always have opinions, right? If you don't like it, don't take their money. You know, if you take their money, <laughs> listen to them. It's, like, it's a very clear. Life is short. You have one life. Do what you want. But right. know what game you're playing. Because when you make a mistake is when you play both games. Because you then fail at both. So you have to play one right. game and play one fully. And I think that's an interesting perspective, but nobody can I, can say Jumia from the jump was fundable. Their holding structure, their investors, their storytelling it was it was from the jump a very clear, understandable, legible company for foreign investors. Much more compelling story, I think, um, with the benefit of hindsight. Like the twenty three country thing is insane. Standard Standard Bank, Standard Bank of Africa <laughs> is in seventeen African countries. Jumia was in twenty three. What's that's funny, man? Just think about that storytelling. And as entrepreneurs, know what game you're playing because I'm not one game is not better than the other. By the way, you just have to be like Uber could only work through the five year period of low interest rates, right? And the business is mm-hmm. that like, if Uber try to start now, it would not work, and that's fine. Right, you yeah. can play that game, but yeah, it's always context dependent. It's context dependent, so it's this is not a moral choice of oh, focus on building the company. That's your choice, right? Hopefully, you have a better <laughs> idea about what you want to do. I love how you always use the word moral. <laughs> I find it so amusing. Do you do you feel like you're? We're not making any more. It's just business no, business discussion. You no, know, because it's not being prescriptive. I'm, I'm not even saying that one is better than the other. That's what I'm saying. I'm not even okay, making right. a value. Maybe moral is wrong. Val- yes, it's moral. Okay. I think about I'm not, something. Different. I'm not making a value judgment about Understood. storytelling as a like a head fake. No, fake it till you make it. I'm not making a value judgment. That do what makes you happy. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Obviously, don't break the law. Yeah, don't be a criminal. Be a criminal. criminal. Rule number one. That's interesting. The other thing is, uh, so one, yeah, this, the I'm um, storytelling. The second part of my conclusion is around how startups and entrepreneurship, it's crazy. How you can do everything right and still not win in a crazy way. Like, Conga, to a certain degree, did everything that talking heads say you have to do in Africa. Like, treat each country differently. They had local teams. They 
They hired people, paid them very well, sent them to these countries, gave them independent budgets, and had them, you know, go build e-commerce in Angola. Like there were lots of people. They had great talent. They paid well to attract the talent. They gave them scope and space. They had online and offline. You know, there's a quote, Jumia employs more than 100 salespeople who are equipped with tablet devices, visit companies, churches, and homes to show customers where they can buy. They have call center for phone orders. So they localized their product. They did everything that like, oh, we're not just telling people website. They did everything. Allow a marketplace of sellers. Yeah. They want to move in third-party retailing. Um, vendors, this is the same. Vendors, for example, can, vendors can, vendors and established companies to small traders who purchase wholesale merchandise in China and Dubai can sell products to Conga websites. It handles nice. warehousing and delivery in return for a commission. Jumia also allows distributors to use this platform. They were building a platform, like all the common sense things. Nice. You want to build a platform. Oh, 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 so you're using both of them interchangeably. You're saying both of them are doing the right things, not necessarily Conga Con- or Jumia. Con- you're saying both. Conga was doing the right thing. Jumia just happens okay. to be doing the same things as well. I don't know. I'm not making okay. a judgment call about Jumia. <laughs> Conga was doing the right things. They had okay. payment or delivery. Oh, people want to fill things and touch yeah. things and then they'll pay. They had that. They had yeah. an integrated they built a payments platform on top of it. They had they logistics. Had yeah, all of yeah. that. They, they just did everything. And it just, you know, it's like, I don't know if you would say to your point, oh, you should have won a different playbook. I don't know, man. I don't know. It just, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't, didn't pop off. Yeah. So sometimes the market conditions are just not right. Like if LeBron went to the sixties in NBA, maybe he wouldn't be any good. Like it's, it's just like not every skill set or approach or strategy makes sense. Even if everything seems logical because the market constraints are just not at that point that you expect. Unfortunately, it's just life. There was there were so many smaller competitors. Everybody was convinced. Buy milk, sugar. There was Clue Clue. There was BuyCommonThings.com. Would you say this applies to some of the companies we have today? Hmm. Like, like Flutterwave. If you pick Flutterwave, your no, favorite African no, no, company. no. But but it, it, what applies that they can do everything right and still not win? Yeah. 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 So, like, uh, that applies. Uh, the specific part that applies is they seem to be doing well. Everything seems to be right. Then all of a sudden, it starts to go down. Because, for example, if you and I recorded this podcast right now, in twenty thirteen December, we could be saying the opposite. On right? twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty fifteen. Black yeah. Friday was six x higher. Yeah. All. The, but then it's like it was two x higher in twenty fourteen, and now it's yeah. 3X it would be an epic higher. fail. Yeah. It would be an epic fail because the year after it be. So do you think there are any African tech companies today where it seems to be going well, but is the unravel? Uh, let me put it this way. Let me, yes, absolutely. Just by virtue of numbers. Mm-hmm. But, le- but the me, names, give the names though. Uh, the you're, names. you're very funny. Let me, let me, let me put it this way though. <laughs> what, what can drive this is just not having enough oh. capital to weather out a downturn. That's really for it. sure. Was very thin, or or, or a very very low, low cost structure. Yeah. In which case you need less capital. Yeah. You can't have both. Either you have a, a demonstrably low cost structure, and then you need less capital. It can be capital, Uber and the Kingdom both. of Saudi Arabia. Um, but but <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's a good one. According to the belt. But I, but I will say like, but I think the point is you have to have good capital and a low burn rate. Like just that burn rate to capital thing that lets you oversee, over go over the thing. And yes, with the amount of money that Conga was spending. The fact that was a, that recession in Nigeria just meant it was like, oh, we're, we're, you know, we can't, yeah. we can't get past this. And I think that yeah, it's like you're driving at 200 miles per hour, and then there's a speed bump. You're completely fucked yeah, to that point. Because like, yeah. if if you're driving slower, it would be fine. Yeah. If there was no speed bump, you'd also be fine. But the confluence of factors. Maybe that's the lesson, yeah. and maybe that's a lesson to 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 founders about like, I mean, maybe it's a bit, maybe it's late now, but really just having a low cost model. I I do see a lot of tech founders, but doing where doing doing google perks uh, for example 
it's like it's not an ad yeah. it's not an ad you never be an ad business model like you take subscriptions from small businesses in Nigeria like chill you know um yeah. but that's a very interesting thing I think it's like being default alive and having cash is probably something yeah I mean this harkens back to what I was saying about the billboard stuff like I don't know how much Kuda spent on the billboard like I saw a, a lot of lot. them and they were in prime locations so for the lot. audience they're, they're on the street going out so I was like I don't know Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe they would announce the unicorn in two years, five billion exit. It just strikes me as the money could have been used more wisely. Like the people that are going to install Kuda Bank, they're not going to install because of the billboard. And the people that want to use GT Bank and Access Bank, the billboard isn't going to convince them. So who's it for? It's neither for the new users or for the churners. So I don't know. Maybe they will say brand building, let them know our name. I just, I don't know. I have some aversion towards those type because I know how expensive they are. Yeah. Alfred Rowani billboard. Are you insane? And plus, don't forget, they have to pay Burner Boy too. It's not a regular person. Chipa it's not cash, me. Boy. Oh, oh yes, yeah, sorry. God, there's so many of them. Boy. I, <laughs> um, Kuda, you, I don't know fine. who Kuda is. Maybe Kuda got fired by DML or something. I'm just saying that they have to pay the celebrity and pay for the slot. Anyway, we're going we're going long on that, but oh, no, this, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I don't know. I guess marketing expenses for startups is kind of like maybe that's the that's the lightning rod you're, you're talking about. It's just it's more like right. it's questionable. Um, yeah. The last piece of my summary is just the entrepreneurship story. Just you know, I was like, my notes is like just a straight up sucker, man. Like you come, you do the first one, do the second one, do the third one. Like, what's going on, dude? Like, just walking in an office, you know. Really sad. But this entrepreneurship stuff is definitely something that keeps him going, that he loves. Um, yeah. Civilization is people like this to progress forward. Um, you must. Because in a lot of different spaces that he's done, by the way, with emotional advertising, with Deal Day, these were first movers in a space that I think that the market definitely needs. Or at least the assessment at the time was that the market definitely needs like e-commerce and definitely needs a deals thing or definitely needs outdoor advertising um, for the future or definitely needs now a U lesson and educational competitor additional service for students. I think he not crowded spaces at all. It's kind of like a very interesting thing that the, I don't know what Sim is going to do next, but the next thing is going to be the first thing of his kind. Affordability, affordability investment, obviously. Um, so I think, <laughs> I don't know, I, I was going to have a section about entrepreneurs. Let me just quickly talk mm -hmm. about it now so I don't repeat it later. I just want African entrepreneurs to do well, like real, all of them. I just, I want them to do well so badly. It's like, that's why I put it as part of my, my bias. Maybe it clouds my judgment. Like if you don't have some successful examples, why would anyone else want to do it? We need uh, Tayo from Paga. We need some, we need some people to do Babs, well. Otherwise, well, you, them, yeah, yeah ba well, okay, a different. Yeah, you know what I mean. We just need we need some role models of actual people that have exited. Thank God for Paystack, but we need a lot more. Although we we can't just be criticizing them, even if the outcomes aren't good. Because then what are we doing? We're criticizing ourselves at that point. We're not encouraging people. So maybe it leads to a positive bias. Um, but I wish I wish them all the best of luck in ULS and then other similar investors like Pio and Tayo and all these other people. Yeah, so. I, I I think there's a handful of just building a business, hiring, hiring, raising money, handful of skills that these guys have attuned and just battle scars, man. Because if building the business is hard, building a business in Nigeria is something else. There was a story that Sim said. Oh of, my God. Um, the warehouse that they had, the landlord was owing some money. So police came, locked the warehouse. And then he had to pay because they thought that the landlord owned Congress. Like the landlord doesn't own, I, I rent here. <laughs> and then they locked the building. Then he had to pay up the landlord's debt so they could deliver packages. 60 million naira. And I'm like, guy, that, yo, that's not something that Ryan Breslow or Patrick Collison has to deal with in, in the Bay Area. But he has to do with yeah. the software thing, but also the fact that EFC is going to come and lock your office and say, um, Mr. Akonlawan is owning money in the building upstairs. Like, what the hell? Um, Listen to our, our Roku TV. Same sort of stuff, man. All these stories, man. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's doing business in Nigeria is hard. Doing online tech startup businesses is doubly hard. And then the ones that are dependent on warehousing, transportation, yeah. logistics, even harder. There are three different uh, levels of risk involved. Nigerians, Nigerians, maybe my takeaway is Nigeria's businesses masquerade as online. They're all offline. <laughs> Nobody's online. Everybody, there's no internet scale, anything. Everybody's, the only internet scale is maybe episode. payments. Maybe yeah. even that, go and ask them. Go ask how many people they have to be answering phone call in Paystack. Like, go ask. Like, right. to be saying my yeah. payment did not go through my... Paystack yeah. took my money. <laughs> go, go and ask. I, I guess that's why everyone is gravitating towards uh, B2B API, API. SaaS. Let me talk to, they they, let they me, tend to be less dependent. Let me talk to five companies and let me, let me yeah. treat them well. Anyways, but the issue is then fintech has its own like CBN risk, which we can spend hours on. It's different different kind of risk. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's my my summary. One is really like know what game you're playing, and there's a storytelling game, and that, that changed the outcome at least in the short term of both companies. Even though they, you know, even though they could have ended up in the same place. Um. Second is really just the entrepreneurial like desire to just take on these kinds of risk. It's Crazy because this is the time I seem to just become a VC. Um, I'll be writing checks and we're doing podcasts. So, I, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. And that's that's my summary. Love it. I love it. Uh, so, I had uh, I had three different sections, actually, uh, four. So, the entrepreneur, e commerce as a sector, mm-hmm. investors, and then I was going to have overall. For the entrepreneur, I think I already covered most of it. Mm-hmm. So, I won't repeat that. Just, yeah, thank you to the team, not just him, but also Shola, all the people who worked there for the job. The outcome obviously wasn't what everyone expected, yeah. but at least was a starting point and a foundation. And who knows, maybe based on some long-term market dynamics change luck, maybe it could still be fine. Unlikely, but who knows? The story's not yet over. There's still a company yeah. operating under a new founding and management team. So maybe, maybe not. Okay, second piece, uh, e-commerce slash marketplace businesses. Yeah, a lot of hype uh, initially. It looks like it's quite difficult. Um, Sim had a quote, 2020 April. He said... If it involves investments in heavy assets like inventory, bikes, vans, there are probably other areas where you can get better returns on your time and capital. So yeah. it seems like he's alluding to the fact that um, basically similar to what I was saying a few minutes ago, very hard to make it work. Um, I will say one thing on e-commerce marketplaces. Bankley was saying it. If you listen to this podcast, don't feel discouraged that I seem negative on, on it. That's the beauty of capitalism. Like everyone can say one thing, you can still be right. I just and chatting. You still make a lot of They're money. Just chatting. Everybody yeah. Just chatting. So, 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 if you feel if you have some innate ability, innate preference to solve the problem, don't feel demotivated by the podcast. People are always wrong. I'm wrong all the time. Don't feel like anything we're saying is holding you back. I'm just trying to be honest and give my opinion, but I could be completely wrong. So, anyone listening, even though I don't like it, I would invest. That doesn't mean I'm right. Maybe there's still a way to make it work. Um, just. Uh, Try, try your best. That's all I'll say. Okay. Third piece, investors. Genevieve and Naspers, thank you. They lost a lot of money in investments, but I'm still so grateful that I actually came in because the long-term impact on the ecosystem is like warehouse, logistics, conga pay, employees. Those employees will go and start their own business. Very, very positive. Now, they lost a lot of money, but you know, unfortunately for them, that's the nature of venture capital investment. So thank you um, for your investments and thank you for your time. Groupon C, then you exit in 2012 or 2013. <laughs> I don't think we're, we're in the business. I'm right. sorry for you. Yeah, um, I know. Uh, and, and then, yeah. yeah, they made a lot of money either way. So it's part of the game. Yeah, all part of the game. And um, shout out to Shinovic and Naspers. If you ever want to come back, it's not too late. I'm just saying, 
e-commerce market, well, that was the past. Look to the future. Don't feel so burnt that you never want to come back to Africa Tech. So if anyone from Trinavik Nassau, if they want to email us, info at, I think we can chat. I don't think it's over. I don't think you should be so tainted by your experience. It was just one sector. You could say two sectors if you counted, whatever. And it was seven years ago. So I think those two Nassau data points- should come with the cash um, and like really change oh, the game. Because oh, it's not oh, really, we don't even have like it's 800 pound gorillas in it. Nigerian African For sure. system. Nobody's like, and, and we need they a actually soft have bank. expertise in this. We need a soft bank. They, they do payments in other sectors as well. So even if they say we don't want to do something different, they could do the same playbook. And if you notice uh, Tiger Global's investment, mm-hmm. so Tiger Global is similar to Shinovic and Aspers. They lost a lot of money, but they came back. Mm-hmm. So um, shout out if anyone is listening from Shinovic and Aspers, think about Tiger Global, uh, think about Afrobility. It's not yet over. I post an article with Tiger Global. I, I know. Tiger Global is not talking to anybody about money now. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But, but we're talking about just Africa now. Those are their global returns. Okay, fine. And then to close, overall, um, I think it's sort of a cautionary tale, um, but it's also a tale about trying to make a difference in a country. So overall, mm-hmm. I was happy we had a chance to tell it. Um, I'm also grateful for all the different stakeholders, the Sim, Shinovic, Naspers. Again, not the best ending, a bit rough, yeah. but overall, I'm glad they all tried to do something and make a difference. Entrepreneurship is all about trying. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work. So not a good outcome, but thank, thanks to all the players for trying to do something different. Yep. Thanks to them. Recommendations on small wins? Okay, recommendation small wins. Uh, I'll go. I have uh, two recommendations. Okay. E-Boys. Banco, have you read E-Boys, no. the book? Oh, it's so good. Oh, my God. It's about the history of benchmark capital. Um, so the Venture Fund benchmark, but also about the history of the dot-com crisis. I got to check it out. And some of the... It's great because it has overlapping stories about eBay's founding, benchmark's founding. They're pretty cerebral. Um, benchmark is pretty yeah, cerebral. I like them. Oh, it's so good. It's so good because what what happened is they had an inter- they had a reporter come into their board meetings. <laughs> so you hear the you hear the yeah. like the way the partners are talking about investments. I, I don't think that would ever happen. It's mm-hmm. it was a lot of information that they allowed uh, happen. Um, and then the second thing is it's a it's an article called Different Kinds of Smart by Morgan Housel. Mm-hmm. So I recommended Morgan Housel's book like two weeks ago. So mm-hmm. good. It it reminds me of a book I read. Um, the mistakes smart people made. I love these kinds of things when people make fun of smart people. Mm-hmm. So I, I read it, highly recommended. Um, and those are my two recommendations. Interesting. One book, one blog. I'm going to check out the E-Boys book. Um, I have, oh, you'll love it, dude. I have, you'll love I have it. one recommendation. Um, the Business Breakdowns. Uh, Amazon, the episode on Amazon Aggregators, a podcast. And it was Amazon inter- Aggregators. Yeah. It's, inter- it's basically Amazon Aggregators are these companies that sell on Amazon. They buy all the SMBs. They buy all the SMBs who sell on Amazon. What was interesting yes. about it for me is it's typically not the right business. Like you would, common sense says don't invest because there's strong Amazon risk and and this SMBs that disparate sell different things. But listen to it for an hour and a half. It's like, man, there's so many different ways to make money because you can price all those risks and it shows up in the price you get and the returns you get. Therefore, because common sense says you shouldn't do that because there are all these kinds of risks in it, the it's mismatched. One of my favorite sayings is that nothing is so good that it can be overpriced or so bad it can be underpriced. Yeah, you said it a lot on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, I love that a lot. And it's, this is just an example of some of my favorite things to look out for. It's just an example of a mismatch because everybody says about like, oh, I regret it. I was like, this company, you find company that sells whiteboards, water bottles, like unrelated separate supply chains. How do you fix that? And then what about if Amazon decides to make their own whiteboards? Like crazy risk. Why would you invest in something like that? But there are reasons to invest in it. And there are ways to price it appropriately. And you can't. And many businesses make a lot of money from businesses doing that. And it's just, that, it's impressive that's, to me. That's so interesting. So if we tie back to this episode, for example, even though obviously I'm a downer in yeah. e-commerce on Conga, if someone sent me a deck, special affordability, investment opportunity, Conga, 7 million at the right price. valuation. At the right price. Dude, 
for seven million, even if it's complete shit, we can. So, so everything you always have to look at the numerical price yeah. and then give your opinion. Give you can't do it in the abstract. In the abstract, right? Yeah. So, so the assumption is like, yeah. So at the right price and the right multiples, because this business is then trade for low multiples, low multiples because of all these risks, and you can't yeah. sell it for a lot of money in the market because of all these risks. But it spits out a ton of cash that you can then hmm. finance, and it's like, wow. I feel like I should listen to business breakdowns. Business breakdowns, affordability acquired. Mm. Those three podcasts have a lot of similar themes, yeah. but I've. I've never, it's just, it just, they only started last year. They already have so many episodes. Yeah. I'm so far behind. Yeah, I think about it. I think about, so they made me think about that quite a bit, especially in context of this business where it's like, oh, mm. there's all kinds of risks and common sense is why, but it's like, yeah, but mm. can you price them? Can you underwrite them? Mm. And therefore, do you have any differentiated ability to select the winners compared to other competitors? And yeah, it's, what are you buying? Because what you're buying is not what you think mm. you're buying. And it's just crazy. I won't huh. ruin the podcast, but you should go listen oh, to I'm it. Oh, I'm listening to if it. If you're interested in sure. learning about these things, I don't know what they say. So that's my my recommendation. Small win? Small win. My small win is so odd. So I use Pocket Casts mm-hmm. uh, to listen to podcast players. So I don't use Google Podcasts. I don't use Apple Podcasts. I use Pocket Casts. And Pocket Casts has this feature where you can skip some seconds of a podcast. So for podcasts that have ads, I yeah. just skip all the ads because I know the ads will be like 20, yeah. like 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I start from 20 seconds. So I'm at the gym and I'm listening to podcasts back to back to back. But because of the skipping functionality, sometimes I skip too much. Mm-hmm. And instead of starting from the beginning of the podcast, I just start from somewhere around yeah. the beginning. So I'm working out and I'm listening to podcasts. I'm listening to another podcast. And then the guy says something about economics degree. Hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And then I started this business, huh? And then I sold it early. And then people call me the marketplace. I'm like, what the fuck? Is this yeah. is this for Breeze Grinder? Yeah. <laughs> like we just spoke about this guy at OLX. Yeah. So it turned out I had just we had just released the OLX episode literally three days before. Yeah. This podcast was for Breeze Grinder on um 20 Minute VC. But because I fast forwarded, there was no introduction, just started yeah. talking about him. So I'm like, this sounds this is this, this story so is eerily familiar. Because like, you know how we're saying he had the the highest degree yeah. or an award or something. I did two guys. <laughs> so he said it. I did two guys yeah. that are economics <laughs> highest best economic students in France, but also entrepreneurs. Yes. Like what is what's gonna be economics in France? It, it was so meta, it was a small win. It made me so happy. But it's one of those small wins is it's such a weird coincidence because normally, obviously, I'll start from the beginning. So I wouldn't be surprised. He would yeah. say, this is for Beast Green Dead. No surprise. Yeah. But because of we just released it and because I fast forwarded, it was yeah. very weird. And it made me very happy at the gym. I had, so. that's a good one. I had, um, I had a last couple of, last week or so, I had an in-person like offsite team meeting. It was good. It's just good to see ah. everybody be around a lot of work colleagues for like three, four days. Um, nice. I, I, I still think that people will come back to the office. So sort of slightly differentiated. Um, but yeah, yeah. But was, it was the offside at the office or somewhere fancy? You guys went to Hawaii. No, 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 no. Seashells? Was Fuck. <laughs> visa. How did no, you get visa? Just which, which, which for <laughs> me. It was the office, just Mendel Park. Which for me, once I, once I blew, once I blew, all these things would be a thing of the past. Um, Lagos offsite, man. That's the place to have offsites if you can get visas. Lagos is the spot. Olumde, on that note. Uh, we still have the George or Wheat Baker, White Baker. All these Wheat places Baker. in Lagos where. Wheat Baker. <laughs> Four hundred dollars a night. Even I wouldn't be able to afford it. Four hundred dollars. I was like, ah, four hundred dollars to sleep. <laughs> what? <laughs> I will never. I cannot sleep well. <laughs> so cool. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afferability.com. Thanks.